Hey folks, Shag here. If you haven't already heard, I've got some sad news to share. Keith Giffen, the writer and plotter and breakdown artist of our beloved JLI Bwahaha era, Keith passed away on October 9th, 2023. And this incredibly sad news, it's, it's been difficult for all of us comic fans. I know, I've seen it all over social media. And I, and I do want to thank you, by the way, to the, the number of folks who reached out to me when the sad news broke about Keith's passing. I do appreciate that. So, JLI Podcast is all about a book that Keith wrote and plotted. So, a lot of people have asked me uh, what I was thinking. You know, did I plan a special dedicated episode or whatever? And I've given a lot of thought uh, about what to do. And I did strongly consider a dedicated episode, you know, as a tribute or a celebration of Keith's work or something. But I, I just don't feel qualified to contribute or lead that discussion. Like, there are so many more people who are infinitely more skilled and more eloquent than me that are already celebrating Keith's life and work in, like, blogs or articles or podcasts or whatever. So what I'm doing instead, I'm, I'm sharing those out on social media whenever I come across those. Because for right now, the best thing that I know how to do is to keep doing what I have been doing for the past seven and a half years. And that's to continue to celebrate Keith's work on the JLI comic franchise in one issue at a time. This entire podcast series has been a celebration of Keith's work on this incredible comic series, as well, obviously, of the work as J.M.D. Mateus, Kevin McGuire, Andy Helfer, you know, all those folks who started it off and all the other talented creators who joined them as the series progressed. With roughly a hundred different guest hosts over the course of the JLI podcast, every episode has been packed with our community's love for this series and the joy it's brought us. It's, it's basically been one massively long love letter to Keith and all the other creators involved. At the time of this recording, this sad news, it's its still very fresh for us here at the podcast. And due to the production schedules of the show, the segments today for this episode were recorded out of order. So the segment today covering Justice League America was recorded just days after Keith passed. Whereas the segment covering Justice League Europe was actually recorded before Keith passed away. So you'll notice in the episode that some differences and things we say there. And what I want to do, I want to encourage you listeners to share your own feelings about Keith, his career, and your favorite comics in the comments section for this episode. We've got an incredibly strong community of listeners, and I'm hopeful that having a place to voice what's in your heart, along with the support of your fellow listeners, will really help everyone heal a little bit and move forward. And I'm sure my own thoughts and feelings about Keith, they're going to be worked into various episodes as we continue to cover these JLI comics. I mean, they'll just, they'll come out at various points. And I do have a few things to share just quickly on top of my head. And is that I always hope to have Keith on the show someday. But honestly, I never worked up the courage to ask him. The idea of asking Keith to be on the show, it like intimidated me like a lot. And maybe it's because I like held his work in such high regard, or maybe it's probably from reading uh, and, and watching a lot of the interviews I've seen him do over the years. In those interviews, he was always so frank and so honest in those interviews, like in a very blunt way, but it was also glorious. You know, well, he clearly loved a good laugh. In those interviews, he just seemed to cut through the BS and get to the reality of the topic, which was about making comics, you know? So I never got a chance to meet him. I never got a chance to correspond with him. And I'm not even sure he was aware of this podcast's existence. Uh, and now I regret lacking the courage to invite him on the show. Because uh, I owe Keith a tremendous amount of appreciation. You know, recording this podcast each month for the past seven and a half years, honestly, no exaggeration, it's changed my life. From just finding my joy in escaping the challenges of the real world, to connecting with people all over the world through this show, and making so many friends, whether it be online or ones now that I've spent a lot of time with face-to-face, -face, came through this show. And this show exists because of the comic he helped create. 
So I started thinking about how Keith himself would feel about all this. And from all the interviews I've read with Keith over the years, he'd, he'd probably say something snarky about everyone getting bothered about his passing. And, um, and then I found this perfect quote from Dan DiDio. And Dan, if you don't know, he's a longtime friend, a creative collaborator of Keith. In fact, <laughs> if you look on social media, not too long before Keith passed, Dan and Keith actually went out for trivia. They went out to one of those live trivia shows, and it was about DC Comics trivia, and they crushed it. It was great. So anyway, Dan DiDio, yeah, there's a quote from him. He says, having a hard time finding the right words. All I know is that Keith would be annoyed by this whole thing. But if anyone deserved praise and appreciation from the comic industry, it would be Keith. I guess it's a good thing he's not here to hear it. Um, you know, that I, I felt like that was pretty fitting. From Again, I, I don't know Keith. I never met him. But from everything I've read, that, that does definitely seem to sum him up. Now, with all that said, uh, we are going to continue on with the podcast. In the spirit of the JLI being humorous and irreverent, you know, we're going to continue in the same light tone of the show that we've always had. So while the passing of Keith is, is very much on our minds, you know, we're going to do our best to continue to laugh and goof around with these glorious JLI comics. So folks, uh, again, leave your comments in the comments section. Be there for each other. Support each other. And please, please take care of yourself as we all cope with this tragic news. And keep Keith's family and friends in your thoughts. And as they say, the show must go on. This episode, Justice League America number 58 and Justice League Europe number 34. Cover dated January 1992. Breakdowns, part 11 and 12. Hello, and welcome to the 58th episode of Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not flying solo. Every episode, we feature a few different guest hosts to help me cover the JLI issues. We'll have a chat with my second co-host a little bit later, but for now, my first co-hosts today are more international guests. That's right, I said co-hosts, as in plural. We got a sort of uh, blue and gold double act joining us today, all the way from South Africa. They're first-time callers, and uh, they've been longtime friends and comic collectors. Uh, they've found themselves nowadays becoming more of comic buyers rather than comic readers. And we're talking about bordering on the verge of being hoarders of the geek variety. Uh, one is a massive Ted Cord fan, and the other is a massive Guy Gardner fan. Let's hope we can keep them both out of the boxing ring today. Folks, please help me welcome Mr. Jake Muir and Mr. Warren Harrison. Welcome to the Secret Sanctuary, guys. Thanks for being here. How you doing? Very good, thanks. Good to be at Shag. I am super excited about having you guys here. Jake and I have been talking about uh, you, you all coming on the show for a long time. And uh, I, I did the math on this recently. And you guys are something like, I believe, our 97th and 98th guest we've had on the show. Uh, which is crazy to think we've had this many people come through the embassy to talk about their love of the JLI. And I'm a little excited for me because you guys, having come from uh, from Africa, you are the last continent I need on my international bingo card, if you will, because uh, I've had guests previously from lots from North America, uh, some from South America, several from Europe, uh, a couple from Asia, a couple from Australia, and, well, I've, I've never technically had anyone from Antarctica. I mean, that's a little hard, right? Uh, I did have someone on the show who helped ink uh, the Justice League Antarctica issue, so I, I figured that's close enough. So now, uh, having Africa brings us full circle, and I can feel like I can say I've, I've covered every continent on this international show. This, I'm so excited to have you guys here. Fantastic to be here. That deserves a round of applause right there. <laughs> a lot of time and effort put in to get all the way around the world. <laughs> a little bit more than 80 days, though. Right. 
Yeah, more like uh, eight years by the end of this thing. So, so all right, let's talk about you guys. And so, Warren, let's start with you here. So, as I understand, you're a massive Guy Gardner fan, which, you know, probably says a lot about your personality, but we don't have to get into that. So, as a Guy Gardner fan, I understand you own, like, original art and stuff like that. Tell me about this. Yeah, so I have a few pieces from Kevin Maguire. I have some Whoa! pieces from uh, the Gleason. Yeah, no, so it's, it's been something I've collected over many years. And unfortunately, uh, with the, the rate or the exchange rate, it's been a bit tough to collect because uh, I don't know if you're aware, but your currency versus ours is 20 to 1. So oh my uh, being gosh. a collector, yeah, 20 to 1. So you can imagine. Uh, I, I reckon in, in US terms, you know, you'd probably take what you guys are paying and let's say times it by four or five to understand what we're paying to get your goodies out this side. But uh, there are a lot of collectors in SA and uh, there are I suppose a distinct few of us that are, have been fans of the JLR for many years um, I grew up uh, reading the JLR in, since 1986 so I would have been about 13 14 years old at that stage and uh, my, my first few uh, well I'm going to say the first few issues that I read were the, in the early teens if I'm not mistaken or the late the late teens of the JLR and of course my favorites were when Guy confronted uh, Lobo so <laughs> that, that was quite a bit of fun so when he was uh, the, if you can call him soft guy and he became hard guy as it were. Yeah, that was, that was actually a fun issue. And uh, I absolutely loved Kevin Maguire's art, the facial expressions, the writing of both Keith Giffen and James Dematis. I mean, what an absolute phenomenal team. Those guys really kept it going. And, uh, you know, as as the years uh, went by, um, you know, seeing a guy like Andy Halfer was behind all of that, putting that team together. You know, I don't think enough thanks goes out to him as well for, for putting that team together and that the success that they've had ever since. Oh, it's amazing uh, that the people Andy kept bringing in. You know, after Maguire, you get Ty Templeton, you know, you get Adam Hughes. I mean, just a complete succession. Chris Sprouse, a complete succession of amazing people who worked on these books and Bart Sears. All of them have that knack for amazing facial expressions. But yeah, to keep it going on and on. Now, I understand that you're natural ginger. So have you got yourself a Guy Gardner bowl cut yet? No, if I was a teenager, I probably would have. But uh, at the age of 51, definitely not. Come on. I've also, I've also got the ginger beard, but it's starting to go a little bit gray now. Or let me rather say going a bit blonde now. <laughs> So we've got a surprise for you on the air. Uh, Jake, you can go ahead and pull out the, the hair trimmers that you have hidden there. And <laughs> Jake's actually going to cut your hair live on the air. So get ready. <laughs> uh, Jake, so Ted Cord, you, he's your guy, huh? Yes. Yeah, and it's all thanks to the JLR because, you know, before that, I wouldn't have known who Ted Cord was. You know, I had some superhero comics back when I was like three, four years old. So obviously the gravitation was towards Superman and the Flash and maybe a couple of the Avengers members, but no idea as to Ted Cord was. But thanks to uh, the JLI issues, he became a fan favorite of mine. In fact, there's one thing where Warren's talking about his original art. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have him to thank because I'd said to my wife jokingly, you know, that I should maybe ask Kevin to get commission done of Dude. Ted sitting on the toilet reading a comic. <laughs> And uh, Jazz actually took that and she went and told Warren about it, then contacted Kevin and they... We commissioned the piece. So if you ever go online, there's a picture of Blue Beetle sitting on the toilet reading a comic book of JLA. I commissioned that from uh, Kevin Maguire at the time. And at the same time, I also got the one with Guy Gardner. He's carrying Torah on his back. <laughs> and if you've ever seen those two pieces, you'll know now I've commissioned them both. And the surprise was uh, we were actually in a car park in a shopping center. And it was actually quite fun. I said, Jake, I got something for 
for you. And he walked up to the car and he said, well, what have you got there? He says, and I pulled out this, this piece. And he says, you've got to be kidding me. It completely is, it blew his mind at the time. So what a beautiful piece of art that was as well by Kevin. And it's something that you don't see very often. You know, it's, a, it's an unusual piece, but yeah. it's a funny piece. And it kind of suits the mood of the character of Ted Cord. Yeah. Um, and that's what's so nice about the JLR. These are characters we can relate so much to and that we love very much. You know, after all these years, you know, 35, 40 years later, I still love them to bits. And that, I mean, it is, it's very relatable in terms of, I'm sure that you have, I have, Warren has, everyone sat there on the loo for a couple of hours. Well, maybe not a couple of hours, but long enough to read a comic or two. If it's a couple of hours, you need more fiber. Let's just say. <laughs> I don't know what Jack gets up to, but I'm definitely sitting on the toilet for a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not the direction I expected this conversation to go. But, <laughs> but what was actually very funny, after we'd had this commission done, just before Deadpool, I think it was Deadpool 1 came out, there was one of the promo images of him sitting on the toilet reading a comic. Mm-hmm. Actually, so, yeah, that was yeah. A, you caught right. Yeah, that was a couple so, of years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if they actually got that. Got the idea from yeah. me. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, they see that Ryan Rowan. Reynolds always ripping you off. There it is. <laughs> he stole Kevin's idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, see, I, I love that you guys are setting the bar for any future guests from South Africa. Be ready for toilet humor. So from that, I'm going to do a very natural transition into talking about our sponsors. <laughs> uh, folks, this episode is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, we will select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the in-stock trades library. Usually it's going to be tied to this month's JLI issue in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I leaned into something we actually talked about last month. Our guest DC Dave picked a a Justice League trade paperback that featured both Lord Havoc and Lobo, and I'm picking the same thing, except it's slightly different, if that makes any sense. So the version he picked was a collection of issues 1 through 6. The one I picked is a a broader collection. So it's called Justice League of America Rebirth Deluxe Collection Hardcover Book 1. This collects not just the Justice League of America 1 through six from the rebirth era it also goes beyond that includes uh one two three five different specials like a special on the atom a special on vixen the ray killer frost uh and then the rebirth special so all told is 288 pages it's full color hardcover and again this is the justice league era that had batman leading the team but had killer frost on the team and lobo on the team and it was a little bit different a little bit edgy again they fought lord havoc and and lobo and lobo was there so i mean it's pretty much perfect for this issue it's a lot of fun i really enjoy i didn't know that i would enjoy the book as much as I did. So it's worth checking out. It was $34.99, but you can get it 42% off, so it's only $20.29. Heck of a savings. Now, uh, Jake, I understand you brought a book as well. Is that right? Yes. You know, you beat me to the punch with that JLI rebirth uh, or JLA rebirth, but, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to uh, the origin of the guy Lobo Feud, and uh, I'm actually going to suggest the Justice League International Book 2, which is the thick trade that they brought out a couple of years ago now. The reason that I'm punting that, I think, is because of the fact that it's only been Book 1 and Book 2, and they've announced the third omnibus, but uh, we haven't yet seen Book 3 of these trades. So this this is written by Keith Giffen, James DiMatteis, with uh, art by Various and the cover by Kevin McGuire. Um, this collects the earlier issues of the Justice League International. So she's 18 through 25, Justice League America issues 26 through 30, Justice League Europe issues 1 through 6, and Justice League International Annual 1. It's published by DC. It's got 570 pages, so it's a big, thick trade. Um, it's full color. It's a trade, so it's soft cover. It was $29.99. 
$17.39. Then Stock Trades price is $17.39. So you save 42%, which is a very good deal. That's an awesome collection. And I love these, uh, I guess you call it, I think you phrased it, the bigger collections, the thick books. I love these thick books. They're, they're not quite omnibus size, but they still got a ton of issues in them. It's a great format to have. Uh, I'm a big fan of these. I think they look great. Uh, I mean, personally, I have collected every single version of the comics. So whether it be the floppies, whether it be the original trades that came out in, it must have been the late 80s, early 90s. Then again, when they relaunched the trades as hardcovers, as standard size hardcovers, I got all of those. And that went up until I think it was the beginning of Justice League Europe, the first few issues of that. And then they stopped that. And then they went with the omnibus. So I got that. And then we were waiting. We weren't sure if we were going to get the second omnibus and then the third omnibus. And now these thick trades, um, I bought those as well, as well as the digital copies as well, um, just to show the support for the JLR and just to keep DC printing these for new readers because I buy them as well to give them to friends and to my nephews and that to just get them into reading comics as well. That's incredible. What a great way to think about it as far as you know, supporting the brand and getting the word out there. I was going to call you an easy mark for DC, but uh, yours is a much nicer way to look at it. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, folks, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support, because, you know, running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows, it requires a lot of online hosting and other services. And a while back, we realized we need some help with the expenses. So we launched the Patreon, and you folks really helped uh, by stepping up and keeping the network going. So if you're enjoying the JLI Podcast, the best way to support the show is by visiting our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And while you're there, please consider supporting the network. In a certain tiers, you'll get mentioned on your show of choice, just like these folks who specifically asked to be recognized on the JLI Podcast. So our thanks go out to Bill Beer, Chris Lewis, David A. Scudier, DC Dave, Devin Clancy, Doug Adamson, George Van Oat, Gord Tolton, John Coos, Kevin Wetter, Mark Baker Wright, Martin Gray, Matt Ev, Maxwell Traver, Michael Crouch, Mike Zumkowski, Roger Preeb, Rudy Gastilu, Sean Ross, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, Symbol Pending, and Tim Price. Again, folks, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. All right, we want to get you guys involved in this, right? So we're here. We're breakdowns, part 11 and 12. It's the giant Lobo Desperado fight we've all been waiting for. We want to hear your thoughts. Please go out to our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Share your thoughts on the show post for this episode, episode 58. Get on the social media. Tag us on Twitter at JLI Podcast. Find us on Facebook, just like your national blah ha podcast. Share your thoughts, because as I always say, it's about building a community of online JLI fans around the show. And I said this at the top of the show, and I'm not going to spend too much time dwelling on this right now, folks, just for obvious reasons. But um, with the passing of Keith Giffen, which is, is obviously very hard for all of us, I am encouraging everyone to leave your comments on the show post for this episode. Share your thoughts on Keith. Share your stories. Let us know what you loved about his artwork. Let us know if you ever met him or talked with him. Share all those thoughts in the comments. And uh, it, the comment section for this episode could be a bit of a support group for each other, you know, to help us all get through this. So please go again, firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI, episode 58. Leave your thoughts there and let's all be there for each other. You know, we... We all got to find our own way to cope with this. We're going to hopefully cope with it by doing a lot of laughing today because this is a great issue of JLA. But let's um, let's also get a little emotional in the comments. All right, folks? So, all right. With that, uh, you know, we talked a little bit on the top of the show, but Jake and Warren, why don't you tell me a little bit more about how you found the JLI and uh, what made you fall in love with the book? 
Uh, so for me, my mom had started buying me comics when before I could even read. Um, but, you know, it was random Superman issues. And I even remember very distinctly the um, issue of the Avengers where it's Ant-Man on the very tip of the bow, uh, on mm. the tip of the arrow that uh, Hawkeye is about to shoot. But you can pay me as much money as you want. I will not be able to tell you what those stories are about. I literally can only remember the covers. So after that, as I grew a little bit older, I started reading comics like Archie and Richie Rich comics and things like that as I started to read. And then uh, one day when I was probably about 10, 11, 11 years old, uh, one of my friends came to school with Justice League Europe issue seven. And my mind was blown. Just saw Bart Sears' art. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I saw The Flash and I was like, I know The Flash, you know, just from like those comics that I had when I was very young. And I was like, what is this? I have to know what this is. So literally from there, after school, every single day, I'd go missioning around. We had corner cafes that would sell on the spinner racks, the comics. So we'd go literally missioning around from corner cafe to corner cafe to corner cafe. Not even telling my mom where I was going. You know, I could be kidnapped somewhere along the line, but I was kilometers away just searching 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 the the rush that i'd get from finding a new issue on the spinner rack it's something that like you don't have nowadays because you basically you go and you pre-order your comics you know what's there you're going to collect it you don't have that thrill of finding something new that something that you've been missing for ages but my friend that introduced me to the comics it was always a competition between him and me to see who had which issues and i remember getting so upset like if he found an issue that i didn't find it was one of the best times of my life, you know, just thinking of the ventures that we went on looking for the comics. Oh, the thrill of the hunt is is absolutely something the new generation of comic readers will have no clue about. They'll never understand that. It was so exciting. And I, I still like to go through like 50 cent bins just to find something that maybe I hadn't seen. I, I'd always meant to buy. I never just just to get try and you know, chase that dragon. Right. Just try and get a taste of that again. And how great yes. that your first issue was a Bart Sears issue, and now you're on for this one, which, sneak preview folks, Bart Sears is on this one. That's awesome. That's that's exactly why I was, I was hoping that we could do this issue, because of the fact, you know, Bart Sears' art was the first thing that got me into the comics before, you know, the human, the, the dialogue, actually, and the characters got me so invested in the series. But just the art from the get-go is like, wow. Yeah, so exciting. Now, uh, Warren, you've talked a little bit up front about how you got into comics. Any more, Anything else you'd like to share in your, uh, how you found the JLI? Yeah, so as Jake says, I was also a youngster. I think I was about five years old when I had my tonsils removed. And my mother bought me, it was one of those um, deluxe comics, which featured, I think it was two or three stories. It was a DC comic I remember distinctly, and it had a Superman story in it. So this would have been in the 70s, where 1977, 1978, run about there. And um, that sort of got me onto, I suppose you could say, DC at that stage. So that's where the, the, the DC influence came in. I must admit, I'm a, more of a DC fan than any other, if I can say, comic company, you know, as mm-hmm. good as Marvel and, and the other players that are out there. You mentioned they're producing some good stuff don't get me wrong i was always a dc fan and i still will be till probably the day i die but yeah that's that was my first introduction if i can say to comic books mostly i I never really read the stories i looked at the pictures the pretty pictures the the the, the heroes fighting the villains and what have you and as i got older started reading the stories and then starting to understand the stories and as i mentioned a little earlier my introduction to the jlr was probably prior to the series it was called legends that came out about 86 
And Guy was a bit obnoxious, but uh, he was <laughs> he was measured. He took on a character, strangely enough, called Sunspot, which I know there's a main character uh, as part of New Mutants, if I'm not mistaken, also called Sunspot. And uh, he plays a quick trick on him and puts a bubble around his hand. And as a guy wants to use his powers, he blows up his own hand. I don't know if you actually recall the story, but you know, that kind of got me interested in the Guy Gardner character. Maybe not consciously, probably more subconsciously. And then my, my reintroduction was when the JLR series started. There's somewhere probably, I don't know if it was issue four or five the guys being held back by um oh yeah captain marvel and martian manhunter issue five yeah and, yes that's the one we uh, the, the one punch <laughs> issue yeah and uh, strangely enough it didn't turn me off the character i just thought why is this guy so different <laughs> ironically <laughs> guys so different to everybody else and i kind of got, uh, got got to following him and then of course there was the bump on the head where you know he became this sort of strange weird well-spoken eloquent uh soft guy and i think it was 17 or uh, issue 17 and 18 where he confronts Loba where the original Guy Gardner comes back and uh, I must tell you once I started reading those issues I had to find some of the back issues that I was missing and I started collecting from there on in man Kevin Maguire's art from the first issue you could still see I mean his art was great from the beginning but it just got progressively better and then of course we all know his art from the, the facial expressions and of course the phenomenal writing from Keith Giffen may he rest in peace yeah. and James Dematis man these guys knew what they were doing and I know, you know, when you when you listen to some of their collaborations, they said they were just having fun. Well, maybe sometimes if it's just off the cuff and it isn't pre-planned, maybe that's where some of the best stuff comes out, you know, maybe from their subconscious, uh, from wherever. I mean, you know, I, I love the, even the, the JLR annuals that came out. There were some stories that were put in there that were absolutely phenomenal. And of course, it all leads us up, up to the, the issue that we're discussing today. I mean, Bartzi is what a, what a great find. I think, I don't know if he, his first introduction was in the Justice League Europe, for me anyway, where, where mm-hmm. our first actually saw his art. Uh, I think it was where Metamorpho turned to gold and basically beat Gar Gardner pretty pretty (laughs) solidly. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) Uh, Well, those are awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your backgrounds with the book. Let's get into this one. What do you say? Absolutely. Sounds good. All right, folks. So what we're going to do is we are going to post a few images from this issue on our image gallery over on the website. Uh, We're not going to post a ton because, I mean, this issue is readily available. You can buy it on Comixology. You can find it on DC Infinite. Uh, It'll be collected soon in Volume 3 of the Omnibus. So it's very available out there. So we'll we'll post a few pages for you to share, but not uh, not too much. Go find it for yourselves. I can't do everything for you, people. All right. So this is Justice League America, number 58, published by DC Comics. Cover date is January 1992. was on the shelves November 19th, 1991. Cover price is $1, and the cover is by Chris Sprouse and Bruce Patterson. Uh, you guys, uh, Jake, you want to describe it for us? Sure. So it starts off with the it's simple arithmetic and has the headshots of Lobo and Despero and a little plus sign next to them. And it says, basically, if you mix Despero and Lobo, you're going to get dead Justice League. So the cover <laughs> itself... Pretty pretty plain, just a white background, just the headshots of Despero and Lobo, and then the bodies of Martian Manhunter, Blue Beetle, Guy, Flash, Fire, and uh, Elongated Man, as well as a metamorpho that kind of looks a little bit like an egg on the very corner. <laughs> he does. Um, <laughs> Does that? That's what it always made me think of. And this is uh, Jan Rocket Red's uh, helmet there. I'm not sure whether that is implying that he has lost his head or what's going on. But yeah, this is Breakdowns Part Eleven. Yeah, it's a very, very simple cover. Um, I definitely think compared to the Just League Europe covers that Derek Robertson did at the same time, um, maybe Chris Sprouse wasn't willing to compete or maybe as in a rush, but he, he obviously looked at those covers and said, you know, 
that's got too much going on. He wants to, to do something far more simple, which is pretty funny considering the fact that the actual issue itself is nonstop action that this covers so plain. That's a, that's a good observation. Now, I, and I can also understand why Sprouse would want to go a little differently because like you were describing the Justice League Europe issues, right? So the issue before Justice League Europe number 33 and then the issue after this, Justice League Europe number 34, those both just feature Lobo and Despero beating the crap out of each other. So yeah, I mean, the option is, does he draw them fighting again? You know, is it just the third cover in a row or whatever it's going to look like? So doing the arithmetic idea, I think it's clever. I think it's a really, really clever design. And I, I have a confession to make. I, I'm a little embarrassed. I don't think when this was originally published back in 91, when I bought it, that I got the math equation. I think I went so quickly to dive in and read it that I just saw blood smears on the cover and didn't even put together what the cover means. That's how stupid I am. Apparently, math is not my strong subject. Uh, I was uh, I was in college, so you know maybe I was failing math. I don't remember. Anyway, so I'm a little embarrassed to say I did not catch the whole equation because if you don't have the cover in front of you, folks, the, the arithmetic part, the plus sign and the, the the what do you call it, the equals bar are just blood smears. They're not like clean plus and, and lines, and it, it's it's a lot of fun. And that stark white background looks great. It definitely would have stood out on the on the shelves if you think about it. You know, not many covers have such a stark white background. Mm-hmm. So I, I I know that for myself. This cover is something that I remembered very distinctly. It had achieved its end goal, you know, in terms of just making something that people looked at and went, "What is going on there?" But uh, I don't I don't think I also picked up on the arithmetic when I first looked at it. I'm not sure about Warren. Well, it actually says at the top of the page, it's simply <laughs> arithmetic. For goodness' sakes, Scott, it's right. That's a bit of a wake up. <laughs> Warren is the voice of reason, folks. Um, so I, I do want to mention, so we've talked a lot about faces and stuff like that, Kev McGuire and all that. I mean, look at these faces from Chris Browse, you know, that Lobo face, that Despero face. They look, they're, they're, first of all, they're dead on, right? They're perfect on model. They look great. They've got that angry expression going on. They don't look the same. They look like two distinct characters. I mean, Chris Browse, what a talent. And this is so early in his career, too. No, no, he is phenomenal. I must say, I followed his work as well. We went over and did Tom Strong with Alan Moore. What a phenomenal oh. talent. If, if you're not aware, so we actually, Comic-Con Africa, and if you're aware of it, but Chris Sprouse was here a few years ago, and oh. it was actually very nice to meet him face-to-face. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm terribly jealous. Oh, you mentioned the Tom Strong <laughs> stuff. I uh, I just bought those. I haven't read them yet, uh, but I just bought them because I've always meant to, and so I'm looking forward to diving in when I get the time. Highly recommended. So you mentioned all the all the JLI people at the bottom there, Jake. So I love that. First of all, it's, it's a perfect distribution split between JLA and JLE members. You got four JLA, four JLE, so that's nice that you could even split because, I mean, the story is so integrated at this point, but also... Also, it doesn't feel crowded. You know, that's eight different characters all in the bottom, I don't know, quarter of the page. And it could look incredibly crowded, but it just looks, you know, I mean, obviously they're piled on top of each other, but it doesn't look messy. It, it looks clean. I don't know. I can understand what's going on. So, I, you know, a testament, again, to uh, Sprouse's work. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely a, a very simple artist. I mean, if we look at the, the previous covers that he did, there's no lines wasted. There's no overdrawing things. It's straight and to the point. You're able to see exactly who is who. There's no wondering as to which character is which. So yeah, definitely, I, I love this cover. In fact, I actually got Chris to sign this cover or this comic, not this one that I have in front of me, but I have a, a signed copy of it um, somewhere. And that's how much this cover actually meant to me when I saw him at Comic-Con. I was like, of all the covers that he's done, all the comics that he's done, I wanted him to sign this cover. Wow. And hey, with all the white space, that's a perfect one to get signed too, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, well, let's get into this. So the credits and uh, Bittersweet saying it this time out, obviously, for 
things that have happened. So Plot and Breakdowns are by Keith Giffen. Uh, as we said, rest in peace. Script is by J.M.D. Mateus. Penciler is Bart Sears. Yes! So excited to say that, folks. Bart Sears drawing Justice League America. He's well known for drawing Justice League Europe. This is his first time, I believe, on the Justice League America book. Very exciting. Inking by John Beatty and uh, Randy Elliott together. Letters by Bob LePan. Colors is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley. And editor is Andy Helfer. This is Breakdowns, part 11, entitled Mayhem. You want to start us off, Jake? Sure. Oh, it's action from the very beginning. First page is splash page of the Sparrow, the uglier of the two. Smashing Lobo, the prettier of the two, almost out of frame. Straight at the reader, Lobo grimaces as he flies through the air, telling you this hurts badly. Bart Sears is back, baby. The fight between Pretty and Pink the Sparrow and Static Hair Lobo is kinetic and fast-paced. The blows at Lobo lands look as though they would shatter every bone in a human body, but to Despero, they serve to irritate him. As Lobo launches himself at Despero, quipping about loving being a repo man, Despero manages an almighty kick, launching the mercenary well above the New York skyline. Guy Gardner, in an attempt to separate these two warring aliens, flies up and plucks Lobo out of the sky, constructing a globe shield around him. Lobo shows he's no damsel in distress by simply and effortlessly shattering Guy's construct, sending both hotheads tumbling out of the sky. Meanwhile, Despero is once again back to spouting his eternal hatred for the Justice League when his self-proclaimed greatest foe, Martian Manhunter, tries to subdue him with an extended one-arm hug a la elongated man. Unsurprisingly, this tactic from John doesn't seem to do much to restrain the hulking brute. A very brave Rocket Red steps up, blasting Despero and taunting him in fairly high English about his habitual behavior and hating and attacking the League. The goal being to go uh, blustering Behemoth into following Dimitri to an area where civilians won't get hurt. Meanwhile, back at the cave, enter Lord Havoc, the newly resurrected extremist who has just been teleported in from Kui 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 by the Dream Slayer mind-controlled Max Lord. It's up to the B-team of Elongated Man, General Glory, Crimson Fox and Blue Jay, as well as the Jail and Buffoons, to protect and defend a headache-incapacitated Silver Sorceress. Sue Dibney issues a call for help from the other leaguers. However, as they're still dealing with first two threats, it'll be the greatest superhero of all time, Blue Beetle, to come save the day. <laughs> as Ted's... <laughs> There's no no citation needed. Here's the best. End of story. (laughs) As Ted starts his journey back to the cave, he ponders, not for the first time, mind you, whether their manic lives are being scripted by some deranged writer, or three somewhere. Wink. (laughs) We return to the skirmish between our favorite GL and the last Zarnian. Bart Sears uses a nine-panel layout to draw Guy Gardner unrelentingly giving it his all and getting his AWS handed to him. Just as Lobo is about to deliver the final blow, the familiar force field once again ends the fight between Guy and Lobo. For more on that, read Justice League International Book 2. Look, everybody, it's Booster Gold, here to save the day, or at least create a diversion for a little while. Guy left alone atop the roof, all bloodied, bruised and broken, looks down, berating Booster for having all the fun. Despero definitively dispatches Dimitri through a brick wall and into the Hudson, the sight of which set off fellow European leaguers, Power Girl and Metamorpho, leading to them directly disregarding John and jumping into the river without any clear plan. John is thus forced to follow his teammates into the murky waters below, leaving fire to begrudgingly circle overhead, unable to use her powers to help until they resurface. 
Back at the cave, we see Kilowog and Alron are in the midst of converting components from Alron's body to a new controller, which Alron has assured Kilowog is the only way to stop the Sparrow. As Alron is preparing to make the ultimate sacrifice, we see that his inner circuitry is a mixture of machine and organic parts. The pain and sadness of Kilowog having to kill his friend is perfectly captured in the facial expression on the final panel. All right, well, thank you, Jake. I'll take it from here. So elsewhere in the cave, General Glory and Elongated Man hold off Lord Havoc while Catherine Colbert tries to get the Silver Sorceress to safety. Now, at this point, the remaining Injustice League members decide to be cowards and sneak out the back door, escaping the danger. Back in the city, the army begins cordoning off areas of the city. The Flash is recovering from his mild concussion, and Major Disaster tells the Flash that Despero is unstoppable and it's hopeless, but Flash calls the Major pathetic and runs back into the fray in search of other heroes. Elsewhere in the city, Booster Gold careens through a restaurant window. Lobo climbs through the window after Booster, telling him that he's had it with the League messing in his affairs, and that he's just going to have to make an example of Booster. Suddenly, Lobo is yanked backwards by green energy and thrown sky high a second time. Uh, Booster finds that he was saved by the badly injured Guy Gardner. Booster flies off to gather his conglomerate team for help. After being thrown sky high by Gardner, Lobo comes crashing back to Earth into the same body of water where the League is trying to contain Despero. Fire, who's been circling above the water, takes action and blasts Lobo with her flames. And while Lobo's distracted with fire, Despero and Jean burst from the water, flying into the sky. They fly and fight their way in through the city, finally crashing into the side of a building. Despero has an anger fest all over Jean, smashing him through several stories of the building, crashing down below. Despero lands next to Jean, picks him up, and punches him through the wall back into the street and prepares to fatally blast Jean with his third eye. As Despero attempts to deliver the killing blow, a protective bubble forms around the Martian Manhunter and the blast doesn't affect him. Despero turns to see Booster Gold, the Flash, and the other members of the newly formed conglomerate ready to face him. Meanwhile, back at the cave, Lord Havoc has cornered the Silver Sorceress as well as Catherine Colbert, and Beetle's timely arrival with the bug ship turns near disaster into victory. Elongated Man rescues Silver Sorceress and Catherine from the danger zone, while Blue Beetle points the bug ship's jet engines directly above Lord Havoc, blasting the jets and frying the robot to crispy little pieces. The heroes celebrate their victory, while Beetle is thrilled to have been the one who saved the day. And, of course, Elongated Man teases Beetle for it. However, Silver Sorceress says it's not over and it's only just begun and Kilowog asks for Blue Beetle's help with a special delivery for Despero finally back in the city Lobo climbs out of the water realizing that there's no other way to get the league out of his way he's gonna have to get rough dun 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 alright so that was Breakdowns Part 11. Wow. Lots, lots, lots to unpack. Uh, guys, why don't you start us off? I mean, it's action-packed. It is the one issue that I think is action from beginning to end. There's no stopping to have like a little break in, in the middle or anything else. It's just a constant fight. So it's whether it be out in Times Square or in the Hudson or in the cave, it's just pages and pages of just people getting their, their bats handed to them. Yeah, actually, I totally agree with that. I think God unfortunately gets his butt handed to him uh, on several occasions by um, by Lobo, but it is one of those things. I think this is a, almost like a repeat performance from issue, was that issue 18 that I mentioned earlier? And it also happens uh, much later as well when uh, in Guy Gardner Reborn, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I Leading up to this, I was, I don't want to say I was dreading this issue, but I wasn't really looking forward to it. I'm thinking, okay, a big fighty fight 
fight issue, right? Obviously, it's like the middle chapter of the Despero Lobo fight. Is this really going to be that interesting? But dang, this was exceptional. First off, uh, you know, Chris Wozniak, who drew the last several issues of Just League America, you know, we we had a lot to say about his artwork on the show, right? Uh, we, we said some positive things, but we were also extremely critical, and I, I think we were fair. But now, having Chris Wozniak in the rearview mirror, we've got Bart Sears on JLA, you know, it, it, the script also by Given and DiMatteis is super sharp, it's snappy, it's funny, they pack a ton into this issue, gorgeous artwork. I was thinking this wasn't going to be the best, you know, installment, but dang, this might be one of the best installments of Breakdowns. This is great. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, the one thing that I must say is no ill intent towards Chris, but Bart definitely was the artist for this issue. I don't think Chris would have been able to handle it quite in the way that Bart did. There's definitely the, the weighted punches. You actually feel it. It feels like there's something that's really happening and that these guys are getting injured. And as you've said before, Chris's art, when he's just handling a subtle moments where maybe the guys aren't necessarily in costume, it's perfectly fine. But for something like this, I'm so glad that the brought Bart back for this. From this point on, though, to the end of Breakdowns, I mean, we're talking about Bart Sears, we're talking about Derek Robertson, and the end, Kev McGuire. How awesome is that? The final run of Breakdowns is going to have amazing artwork the whole way through. One thing I have to I have to ask, if you look at the way that Bart Sears draws Lord Havoc, mm-hmm. how big are those teleportation tubes? <laughs> I mean, I, I get the fact that Dimitri in his Rocket Red costume can be fairly big, but the shoulder pads on the Lord Havoc, I don't know. Maybe he has to like, take off his armor, transport himself through, and then put his armor back on. Uh, yeah, that's, that's only way I can think. I think it. most characters were bodybuilders in his comics. <laughs> and yeah. there's nothing wrong the way he drew the superheroes. Yeah. Yep, well, he did that Brutes and Babes special uh, series in, in Wizard Magazine as well. And, and in this case, I think uh, Lord Havoc's shoulder pads are so big, it would give Cable uh, shoulder pad envy, I think uh, it's fair to say. <laughs> so I, I've got a question uh, about Lobo and all this. So a uh, question for you guys. Should the League be fighting Lobo in this issue, or should they just step aside and let Lobo take care of Despero? Like, what's the right answer here? I suppose, I mean, you know, because they believed in what they stood for, you know, they wanted to take out Despero in their way. Uh, Lobo wanted it by hook or by crook. He was going to kill Despero if he had to, you know, and they obviously had, you know, so I suppose it's strange for me saying this, but I suppose they, they maybe had a definitive way that they take villains out. In saying that, Blue Beetle did something obviously a little bit later, which maybe contradicts what I'm actually saying. So, yeah, it's, I suppose it's a, it's, a bit, it's a bit difficult. I mean, mm. truth, justice in the American way, uh, whatever that means, uh, you know, obviously we're sitting here in South Africa, but, you know, wh- what does that mean to most people? It's kind of like going back to Superman. What does he stand for? What does the Justice League stand for? You know, they don't deliberately want to go out and kill villains. Lobo doesn't give a damn. You know, he will he will kill villains if he has to, to take them down. Or he'll kill heroes if he has to, to take them down. And maybe because of the, the contrasting or the conflict in their specific beliefs, that's maybe why they needed to stop Lobo to say, no, no, we're going to take Despero, but we're going to try our best to take him in alive. As opposed to Lobo, who is, I'll take him in any way that I get him. Um, and maybe that's why they, they, they kind of conflicted in the way that they did. Yeah. I have to say, you know, we, we can look at it from that perspective and say, you know, maybe the JLI, JLE, whatever you want to call them, they are there to try and minimize the damage that's being done. That's being inflicted. Yeah, yeah. that's being inflicted by both of these warring aliens. But having said that, they did also get major disaster to create an earthquake, (laughs) which literally brought down some buildings. So I'm not sure, like, whether we can actually say that that they think that far ahead. You know, it might just be that. (laughs) Thinking in the the moment, yeah. They they might just want the credit themselves. It's funny. I was thinking the same as you, Jake, was like, okay, they're trying to minimize the damage between Despero and uh, Lobo. But yeah, good point. They they purposely being 
major disaster was part of their plan, you know. So, <laughs> hmm, a lot to think about there, folks. <laughs> I suppose you could call the, the JLI a bunch of cowboys. I mean, they're literally shooting from the hip. Yeah. They're not thinking yeah. too far ahead. Except, yeah. you know. Exactly. The one thing that I have to ask, if we even think of Avengers Infinity War, when, you know, they're having the final fight in Wakanda, and you've got Scarlet Witch that's up in the building looking after Vision, and um, here you've got Silver Sorceress. I get the fact that she's she's suffering from a debilitating headache, but, you know, she is one of the most powerful members of the League, although they don't show it all that often. But she should be out there fighting Despero as well and not being back in the cave. So that that's a little bit questionable for me as to why they would leave her there. That's a good point. When they split up the team, I'm trying to remember what happened a couple of issues ago when some people went to Times Square. Yeah, you're right. Silver. I mean, now, the, the sad part is Silver Sorceress, she's done nothing in this entire series. Unless she fights Dream Slayer, she does nothing. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, and so... You're, they probably don't, they underestimate her maybe. I don't know. It's a good point. They probably should have put her as one of the big guns. And you know, also Ice, who you may not have noticed, Ice is nowhere in this issue except in one little tiny panel in one color on page six. It's hard to catch it. When Lord Havoc comes bursting in the room, he shoves General Glory and General Glory goes flying back and smashes Ice into the wall and knocks her out. And I, I was wondering who that was. Yeah, all you can really even see is part of her face. If, if it wasn't for the haircut, I would would not even know who that was. Ice is another powerhouse that they could have used in the battle against Despero as well. So I, the only thing I can think of why they left some powerhouses back in the cave was because plot and because comics. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I actually agree with you. Yeah. The one thing that I must say, you, you don't actually realize this, but General Glory being the ripoff of Captain America, America yeah. is facing off against Lord Havoc, which is the DC version of Doctor Doom. So it's basically you having Captain America against Doctor Doom for the first time in this issue. I, I'm going to take you one step further. Who's holding Lord Havoc back most of the time? Oh, that's Elongator Man. Who is, you know, he's not the character, but his power is very similar to Mr. Fantastic, you know? That's Uh, true. That's true. And I took it even further. I got kind of silly with this. I started thinking, all right, let's go further analogs. You know, they could have done a whole FF, actually, if they wanted. If they put in, like, Kilowog or Metamorpho in there. I mean, Kilowog's in the base. They could have used Kilowog as sort of a stand-in for the thing. Ice, if she hadn't been knocked out, could have been a stand-in for Invisible Girl, because, you know, Ice is transparent. You know, Fire, well, she's in Times Square, but she'd be a perfect stand-in for Human Torch. And if you want to get really silly, you could even have Elrond as a stand-in for Herbie the Robot. So, it's like, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of analogs there that could have worked. But I did, I had thought of um, the Mr. Fantastic one. I didn't even think about the fact that Captain America and uh, yes, Doctor Doom fight each other. That's great. Good catch. So one thing that I picked up, which uh, I sent you a couple of screenshots of, is the fight between Guy Gardner and Lobo, mm-hmm. the layout, the nine panel layout, and then the following page, which has um, four smaller panels and one long um, figure panel on the very left. That is actually, uh, as far as I can see, an homage to the fight between Guy Gardner and Metamorpho from Just League Europe, yeah. issue 11 or 12, where Guy and Metamorpho going at it and obviously guys getting his butt handed to him um, but it's it's actually amazing it's the first time I've ever seen that there's an homage in terms of the layout of the panels to a previous issue and might just be because it's Bart Sears coming back and doing this or it could have been Keith Giffen saying this is the layout that he wants and Bart just following along those lines interesting now the nine panel grid was the go-to move of Keith in this era so that may just be the coincidence although looking at the two side by side I mean there's so much similarity, right? I mean, the bodies aren't in the same, you know, positions, 
but it is just a gruesome fight of guy getting the shaz beat out of him, right? You know, I, I <laughs> by, by the same artist. I mean, I totally see it. And then, but the second set where you've got, like you said, that tall vertical panel on the left. Yeah, I mean, there really does seem to be some comparison. And these are smart guys. You know, these are creatively smart guys. So either Giffen might have thought of it, or Bart might have taken some liberties and, and recreated it because it's his own work. I don't know, but I see it. I totally see what you mean. It could be that Bart had to go back and relook at the way that he'd drawn Guy Gardner before, and that made him actually think of this. But the nine-panel layout, it also gives you a lot of kinetic energy. It's, you know, fast-paced. It's You can see things are happening. Whereas, you know, one big splash page, it's one punch, and it's done. This is showing the constant beating that Guy's enduring from Lobo, and yet he's still willing to stand up and try and take more and take down Lobo. Yeah. And I, I would, like I said, I would totally uh, believe that Bart had a, a hand in making some of these decisions. I, I got a chance to interview Bart Sears on the show. Oh gosh, maybe it's been a year now. I'm not sure. But Bart was great, and he, he put so much artistic intelligence into his work. You know, he really thinks about what he does. So I could totally see him having um, thinking about that. Wow, great catch. And that one, that one panel that stands out for me is the panel with Despero and Martian Manhunter, where Despero takes Martian Manhunter and he throws him through the floor of the building. And it just he goes down levels and levels. And if you look at where he crashed into the building and where he lands up coming out, he's gone through at least 10 levels. So that is, it's so powerful, just that image of him taking Martian Manhunter and showing the raw power of Despero by smashing him into the ground. To prepare for this episode, I reread this issue on the DC Infinite app and I went panel by panel mode. So each panel blows up to the full size of a tablet, right? And wow, the power of that beating. I mean, I mean, it's intense. Like it, I, I don't want to say I was scared. It seems silly, right? But I mean, it, I can <laughs> feel the intensity of it. And if I didn't know that Marsh Manor was going to survive, I would be like, holy crap, Marsh Manhunter is totally going to die. I mean, it was brutal. There was so much anger, so much rage between the script, you know, uh, of the rage coming out of the di- through the dialogue and the physical as you, all the action you just described, Jake. Wow. The 16 through 18 are incredibly powerful pages of that rage of Despero. If I can just interject there, I mean, how cool would it be to see a live-action Desperate? Mm. Oh, oh, wow. Man. I mean, yeah, he has a villain. He, I think he's one of the first J- JLA villains, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, there we go. I mean, obviously, he looked very different then. I think his fin was going sideways, not forwards. And uh, I think he was just built average mm. as opposed to ginormous like he is now. But uh, I think the whole thing about him is his intelligence. And uh, obviously, this this absolute hatred that he carries within himself. I mean, he would make such a cool Justice League villain. You know, everyone always talks about uh, Darkseid. I mean, yeah, Darkseid is phenomenal. But man, Despero, why is there not more Despero? Bro, out there. This guy is unbelievably powerful. Especially if you go from yeah. the beginning where he wasn't such a big brute and he was more manipulative and trying to mm. get the Justice League members to play chess in order to save their colleagues in that. And then to go into this metamorphosis that he's gone through into this hulking brute. So now he's got the, the brains and, and the, the power. And yeah. the power. Yeah. So I haven't seen this because uh, well, either way, it turns out there was was a live action Despero on the Flash TV show. Oh, oh wow. not even a worry. Unfortunately, I gave up on the Flash TV show after several years, so I didn't get this far into it. I, I, I'm not sure what season it was in. I'm, I'm just looking at pictures online right now, folks, in full disclosure here. And he's huge. I mean, he's a really big CGI dude fighting the Flash. Now, I'm going to have to dig out that episode and watch it now because I'm just curious. I hadn't even thought about that. I, was it good? I don't know. I feel like if it was good, I probably would have heard about it before now. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, what a hulking brood. And the way, you know, they redesigned him. 
If you follow the path back of Despero's change, right, from the version, like you guys were saying, like the, the kind of scrawny, scrawny little dude with the weird fin, you know, a Luke McDonald redesigns him for Just League of America. But then, yeah, Adam Hughes just made it his own, right? And just, wow, the design he did. And then they've continued to hear through the artist and he's, he's such a cool design now. I love this gigantic, as you said, hulking, you know, behemoth version of Despero. He's so scary. And then again, in these pages, he's just terrifying. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's one of the most wasted characters. Probably, you know, after this, you know, the Justly Task Force issues with Elrond. I won't, I won't say any more, but, um, you know, not to, not to give away not, what happened. Not, not too good, yeah. yeah. No, I think the Despero with the United Nations flag as uh, that he wears as a cape, I just think he was so awesome and so menacing. And that, I think, if I'm not mistaken, was drawn by Adam, Adam Hughes. Hughes yeah. yeah, it was. Gee, it was. What a beast! And I mean, the the the, the amount of a fight back that Martian Manhunter had to had to do, knowing that you can't kill this guy, he's just too strong. But had to basically put him in a, I suppose, a comatose state mm-hmm. uh, just to stop it. I thought it was what a brilliant idea. Very different to what you would see out of other types of uh, of stories that, that that typically come out of superhero comics. I thought, oh, that's unique. I actually like to see something like it. And that's nice that Keith Giffen and Jim Demetrius actually came up with that idea. Yeah, uh, that was a really interesting solution to give him peace, right? You know, to give yes. him the the that let the hate lead to the joy he wanted, and then here, that's what this issue is all about: is Despero's mad. He wants revenge for what he views Martian Manhunter punished him. He doesn't see it as the joy that Martian Manhunter was trying to give him. He sees it as punishment, and that's what's driving and fueling this rage beyond rage uh, in this issue. How cool would he be as a rage lantern? <laughs> oh my gosh! Now, get... how, how did they not think of that? <laughs> right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> now I have a question. Yeah. Maybe Maybe you can answer this. On page, what is this? Page three. There's a scene with Martian Manhunter using what can only be termed as elasticity powers, where mm-hmm. he stretches his arm mm-hmm. and wraps it around Despero. Now, have you ever seen that before? Because this, I think, is the first and only time that I've ever seen that. <laughs> That's part of my notes as well. So it, it's a, it is a normal power for Marsh Manhunter, the stretching ability. It's part of his shape-changing, actually. But since the Justice League book is almost never, at least this iteration, never about a fight, you don't actually see his full range of powers, right? He just plays kind of the stoic the guy, but the reality is, yeah, he's stretching's part of his basic power set. We just never see it. So when I saw it here, just like you, I was like, whoa, there's a power you never see him use. And of course, you know, Bart Sears draws it excellently. But then one, one, one question that I have from that, can you tell me what happens if you turn the page? Yeah. What happens with Martian Manhunter's arm? Is it is he hitting the ground to make the ground below Despero unstable to cause him to fall down to the subway? Or is that Despero having thrown... The Martian man hits his arm onto the ground. It just doesn't make sense to me. Oh, wow. Okay, so I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out, too. And I just chalked it down to, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. But I'm glad, you, since you're saying you had trouble, too. So, yeah, it looks to me, so Martian Manhunter loops him, you know, wraps Despero around. Despero uses his own arm as a whip, basically, and pulls Martian Manhunter to the ground, right, in the beginning of page set four. But, yeah, the second panel has Despero upside down. I wasn't sure what happened there. I was thinking that Despero kind of like flew up and flew down to like do like a wrestling body slam on Martian Manhunter. But maybe you're making a good point. Martian Manhunter does look like he's going to grab him again and yank him down. So I think you're right. I think Martian Manhunter probably grabbed him again and yanked him to the ground, whether they went through the ground to the subway or whether the train tracks were already there for an elevated train. I'm not sure. But yeah, I um, I hadn't thought about the fact that maybe Martian Manhunter is the one who pulled him to the ground because, yeah, I, I was boggled as well. 
that that question has plagued me for the better part of 30 years. So hopefully we can, <laughs> someone, someone out there can give us an answer to that. <laughs> the mystery of page four. There it is. It's a, it's a lifelong mystery right there. <laughs> Lobo, it's, it's, it's nice to see the, the transition from the early days that they've made him look more like the, um, the mini series that came out, you know, the Lobo. And then there was the Lobo back, Lobo's back as well by Keith Gifford. So it's, 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 and then of course the Simon Bisley, I suppose, look is, is, is the way to, or what to call it. So, you know, Lobo, if you take it in those early issues, was it 17 and 18, mm. where he looks pretty, I suppose, plain. I mean, he was starting to have that biker look, but not as aggressive as he looks in this issue. And of course, Bart Sears kind of suits drawing a guy like Lobo. I'm surprised he actually never did, did him more in the comics that, he, that he's done. Yeah, like years. a Lobo series. Lobo yeah. series by Bart Sears. Gee, That's a good a point. Yeah, by this point, it's sort of interesting. Lobo was just become a breakout star. I want to say, I did the research on this before, but I was kind of slipped my mind. I think the Lobo's back. The second miniseries is on the shelves the same time this these issues are on the shelf. So that's how early it is in Lobo as a breakout character. And you're right. Uh, Bisley did redesign him so much so that if you compare this Lobo to the one in issue, like you said, in issue 18 or whatever it was, it's very different. It's very, very different. But, but you know, he look, does look very on model, though. I mean, Sears has really captured that Bisley biker look and uh, has done a great job with it. What do you think of uh, Jason Momoa, who's possibly going to be playing Lobo? I uh, think he's the perfect Lobo, and I don't think it'll happen now because he's just too well-known as Aquaman, but I think he's the perfect Lobo, and I wish he'd done that instead of Aquaman, honestly. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, of course, we've got all, uh, what's his name, um, Nathan Fillion playing Gar God now. I thought, it's a bit old <laughs> now. Are they going to make him ginger? How are they going to do it? Uh, <laughs> what, what I would give to have like a scene between Lobo and Gar God in live action. Uh, okay, that could be interesting. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. So I want to say a couple things about both those characters. So first off, uh, Lobo, in page two, he gets knocked, you know, sky high by Despero. Punches him, right? He goes flying up higher than most of the skyscrapers. Then on page 14, Guy Gardner throws Lobo high in the sky again. And this time it's much higher. These, in fact, they used a photostat of skyscrapers below him. But I just love that Lobo is getting tossed around twice in this <laughs> issue. Uh, and I think it's funny. <laughs> I like that bit. So with with breakdowns, you know, there there are obviously a lot of homages to the previous issues that they've done over the five year course. So I think one of the things is with the fight between Guy and Lobo, and the only thing stopping the two of them being Booster Gold's four shield is exactly taken from those early JLI issues. Correct. Yeah. I think that that's again an homage to them having done that all that time ago. And I, w- the one thing that I find which is very funny is that Guy, when he first plucks Lobo out of the sky and he puts his, his construct bubble around Lobo, he obviously thinks this is the most powerful weapon in the universe. This will be able to stop Lobo. But little does he know that Lobo is able to just destroy any Green Lantern construct but, like he did that with Gnorts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, one thing just proving again how powerful Lobo's will is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's all down to willpower. Absolutely right. Yeah. As we're talking about Guy, I got to mention, I love the way Bart Sears draws Guy's hair, right? Especially on like page three, or right out of the start there. You know, Guy, he doesn't draw like a bowl cut. You know, so many people draw Guy's hair as a bowl cut. But here, he draws it as, you know, his hair, Guy's hair on top is like long and floppy, but the back side is all buzzed around. You know, it just, it's yes. a cool look. And I think it's more realistic about what a guy like Guy would look like. I think I think uh, Kevin Maguire, when he started drawing Guy, he spoke about him doing more of a military type cut, almost like the Marines would have their hair cut. Mm. And that's you quite rightly said a buzz cut, maybe a little bit of little bit on top, and that is about it. In actual fact, if I'm not mistaken, that's the way Joe Staten actually drew it. 
And then it, I'm trying to think which is the artist that made it more of a bowl cut. I think did Linda Medley come yes. into the, the the series yes. at one stage, and I think she made it very much a big bowl. And I don't know if maybe that's where it kind of took off. And then of course they they did the story with uh, General Glory, and General Glory's sidekick had the bowl cut as well. Right. And that's right. and that's kind of and then I think as a, as a child that grew up reading those comics, kind of fashioned his hair the same. So some artists did the bowl very extreme, and some did it a little bit more high and tight, like uh, Marine style. And of course, Patrick Gleason, that came in much later, he changed it up a bit and he made it sort of short and spiky or, or almost more militaristic, but not as childlike, if you like. I think Mitch Bird on the Guy Gardner Warrior series was already moving Guy's hair in that direction, the short spiky. I mean, Pat Gleason sort of perfected it, but I think yes. Mitch Bird was already moving it that way, in my opinion. I, th- I think you're actually right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what was nice about Mitch Bird's style, I mean, he also liked to do chunky, big, bulky uh, uh, heroes and villains, very similar to Bart Sears, maybe not as yeah. defined as Bart Sears, but... Uh, the very similar, if I can say, I'm trying to say similar style. Now, these styles are different, but uh, if I can say muscular and, and chunky sort of heroes and villains, yeah. Yeah, agree. I, I would have loved to have seen a Guy Gardner JLR figure because they brought out the first two waves and then... They never got around to yeah, doing sure. the, the third wave, which I know they had Guy based on the Kevin Maguire art with the big moon boots. And I'm trying to think, was it Mike McCone that actually did the the, the giant moon boots on Guy Gardner? Yes. Uh, and I think it was when they were trying to recruit new characters and one of them was Starman and then Starman has a well that version of Starman has a has a, has a fight with Guy yep. and uh, Guy has these ridiculous ridiculously sized moon boots and I kind of <laughs> liked that idea I thought man I dig those giant moon boots I actually <laughs> and when I read them at the time when I read those comics at the time I was like I dig to have a pair like that <laughs> <laughs> They got to be heavy to walk around in. I mean, goodness gracious! Of course, totally, <laughs> totally ludicrous, but they just look like fun. Yeah, yeah, like giant cushions. Yeah, the issue that that, that issue with that you're talking about with the fight with Mike McCone and all that and Starman that was my first JLA issue. Uh, that was wow, 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 that's great. I was already buying Just League Europe at the time, but that was my first issue as a JLA collector. I bought it because it was Starman was in it, and I was like, okay, I'm in. I get JLA now. I understand it. So that's what made me a, a fan. Well, I think for me, I started with JLE and that was my main book. And it was only, I think, when I got the issue 33 with Guy Gardner and uh, Kilowog mm-hmm. going at it that I was like, this is something that I have to collect. This no, is- there was something unique yeah. about all of those comics. That's why I said we could relate to them. And that's what made them so much fun. And also the behind the scenes, you know what we don't see the heroes do, you know, back back at the headquarters and the, the antics that they get up to. You know, it, it blows my mind that there hasn't been even... Even a TV series, even if it's animated, that's come out mm. with this. I mean, have you ever seen the Green Lantern animated series? I have not, but I'm familiar with it. I know it. Ex- I know a okay. little bit about it. Do yourself a favor and check it out. The human that's fantastic, especially when they introduce Guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I know me being very biased, <laughs> but uh, in saying that, I mean, if they followed something like that with a JLR, I mean, I believe in my opinion it would be a hit. I mean, just all the different characterizations, the ice, fire, blue beetle, booster, gold, Guy Gardner, Martian Manhunter. You've got to have Martian Manhunter with Oreos. I mean, that is just so so suited to that character. It's part and parcel of who he is. Well, Warren, <laughs> you, you got to be careful what you wish for because they did produce uh, a TV pilot for the Justice League featuring uh, a, a sort of version of Guy Gardner. It had fire, it had ice, it had Martian Manhunter, it had Adam, threw, threw, threw the Adam in there, and, uh, oh, I'm forgetting somebody. And they tried to do a pilot of the silly JLI, and it was pretty terrible. Uh, you can find it out online. It's worth watching. We did an episode where we talked about it, actually. Um, so okay. I, w- I would agree it would be super fun if they did it. They just have to do it right. 
Yeah, they, they don't agree. And they've got to give a guy like the, I mean, obviously, rest in peace, uh, Keith Gifford, but then at least get Mark involved or, or James DeMatis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he will know the characterizations. Get him involved in some way as a writer or at least a producer or whatever that can just at least add the value to these characters and get the the right actors, even if it's guys just doing voiceovers for something animated. Man, I, I so wish we could get that. That would be so cool. Yeah. And that behind the scenes, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I distinctly remember some uh, um, issues with, I think it was a Ryan and Light Ray, uh, where, where Guy's losing the plot, mm-hmm. and then I think Ryan just has enough of Guy, and then so, but it's obviously happening in the background, so you just see the voice bubbles, and I think he starts beating up on Guy because Guy's irritating <laughs> him. So, and, and, and you know that those are the fun days I mean you know, that, that's what it's all about I mean if, if, if every character was a carbon copy of every other character comics would be boring and the reason we keep coming back to the JLR is because all those characters are so very distinct and so very different and so very relatable no, yeah 100% I mean that opening uh, sequence of JLR number one with Gar sitting at the the, the, the the Justice League headquarters you know speaking to himself and how he's going to take control of this Justice League and Batman would walk in and just say sit down I mean man and that was just comedy relief right there. It was so, so perfect. And it just kept growing and growing from there. You know? And you hit on a great point, which is a tribute to Giffen and DiMatteis, is that each character had such a unique depiction. You know, like, in my head, I know the personality of Fire. I know the personality of Ice. I know Guy Gardner. I know Blue- Ted Cord. You know, I know these characters and how they think, like, to the point where I could tell you how they'd react to a situation where a lot of other superhero comics, it's just superpowers and fighting and let's go. And they're they're just kind of bland. You don't really know. You get into the character here. You really know who these people are, and that's a testament to the writers. A hundred percent right. In actual fact, I would I would say you know we have something in in, in South Africa that we that we say uh, when it's just action packed, but there's no meat behind it, and we say skop skitten donner, which okay. means kick, kick. <laughs> it, it, it basically means kick, shoot, and thunder. <laughs> or, or basically beat up. So it sounds strange, but Skop, Skit, and Donner is, is it's what it is. It's just basically an action pack, like an 80s movie with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or um, uh, Sylvester Stallone or Jean-Claude Van Damme. They were fun movies, but they weren't memorable. You know, you don't, you right. don't think about the detail in, 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 in them. It does, there's no meat to that. No, bone. there's no heavy plots. Where, whereas with the JLR, you know, again, we keep coming back to these characters. I mean, man, when I, when I hear, and, and this is even how we collect, you know, you spoke earlier about uh, we've become collectors, but we don't uh, we don't read a lot of our stuff that we collect. And I've almost become obsessive to the point where I collect those issues. Where I mean, there's a new Fire and Ice series that's out at the moment. I haven't even read it yet, but I'm collecting it. Um, if Gar features in a comic book, I'll, I'll buy it. You know, and and why do I do that? I, I, I suppose it's related to because of my my affinity towards those characters over many many years, and so I care about them. And you know, I'll go back and then I'll sit and maybe read five or ten issues, whatever I've collected, and see you know is the character I done well or is it done poor and then you know did, did the person who wrote the story get those characters and and, and it's strange what we said a little bit earlier in regards to um, uh, Brad Meltzer or Tom King you know do they get they love the characters and when you read about what they say online about these characters you know can they can they just keep the characterization right mm-hmm. and maybe maybe I've become so biased that no one can get these characters other than than Keith and, and Mark and, and Kevin you know they, they just seem to have something maybe it comes from deep inside of their, themselves, their heart, their soul, something that they put in those stories, whether they, they're doing it consciously or subconsciously, there's something really special about that. And, uh, you know, when those later issues of, of that came out formerly known and can't believe, they just got it so 
so down pat. It's it's ridiculous. Mm. In actual fact, when Formally came out, I was actually bitterly disappointed that Gar didn't feature. Yes, because I'm a Gar fan, but there was that part that that one character that was missing in that team. Mm. And when when Can't Believe came out, it just rounded it off so perfectly. And uh, hell, you know, if you can't use a Jalar name, let's create a new series and let's call it Super Buddies. As far as we want yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a pity with Keith, obviously, now. Yes. Yeah. I mean, at least at least we got those two series, so you've got another year's worth of content coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will be talking about those miniseries here on the show. So just a couple more quick points on this particular issue. You know, one thing that makes me sad is the is the Injustice League. They uh, they run away. They bail. They split. And I looked it up. I'm pretty sure this is their last appearance in this era of uh, the, the league. So I'm disappointed they went out like cowards, because I feel like they've done a lot for these characters and sort of built them up to... I don't know if I want to call them reluctant heroes, but I mean, somewhere in that ballpark, right? At least protagonists. And so I wish their final uh, appearance, they'd at least gotten a chance to do, you know, something right. I mean, if the conglomerate can get a couple of pages in, the jail and guys should have been able to at least try something. Even if it's, even if it means that, you know, one of them has to perish, um, I think it would have left a little bit more of a, a, a fond memory for us of these characters. But, you know, with them just bailing, it doesn't say much about them. It just says that they're a bunch of cowards. Yeah, it is unfortunate, John. Mm. They should yeah. have kept them on. Yeah. I think they get redeemed a little bit in that uh, retroactive special, which we're going to talk about in the series on this uh, podcast series as well. But yeah, but that's like 15 years later or whatever. So yeah, and that's also that's before this. So if you think about that, oh, retro, yeah, retroactively, you're right. Yeah, good point. So well, you mentioned the conglomerate. You know, one thing there, another little disappointment for me is I wish, and, and this is looking ahead to next issue as well. But Gypsy, I wish she had gotten a moment. Uh, like a heroic moment fighting Despero to sort of yes. bookend her journey. Because, you know, the, her journey here kind of started again with Despero killing her family um, back in the earlier issues of Just League America. And it would have been, I don't know, a nice moment for her to have something in the end, I wish. Right, catch this, Shaggy. I actually agree with you. Though. Yeah. And then uh, Beetle, your boy there, Jake, saves the day. And uh, and you had mentioned, Warren, about the, the sort of the philosophy of killing villains or not. And this is where they get to, very rarely, do they get to just unload on the back guy. I mean, they literally, it's a, the page, guys, where, where he kicks in the afterburners and just fries. Lord Havoc is so cathartic as a reader. But then it's like, oh, he's a robot. We can do that. They don't get to kill into the, you know, cross that line of murder. So getting to kill a robot, that's great. Hooray for robots. <laughs> yeah. the, the picture itself makes it look as though it is a living person under that uh, shell because it looks like that's blood actually coming out of the costume itself. Well, unless he's, he's made of uh, something similar to Elrond, where he hmm. could be part, uh, yeah, part organic, part you know, robot. <laughs> could be, could one be. Thing, but... One thing that I want to say is, after obviously Ted has demolished Lord Havoc, there's another F true bit there. I, I'm sure you've covered it in the previous issue where I think it was Ted said to us saying, Your powers aren't all that lame, no matter what anyone else says. And then <laughs> and then now it comes back to bite him in the butt because then Ralph says to him, At least you you're not a, a fat, useless slob or something to that effect. And then Ted's like, Thanks, and he's like, Wait, what? But who, <laughs> who says who that? Said that? <laughs> 
Yeah, obviously re- referencing the time that he put in a, a few extra kilos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a great back and forth. It's a great because it because it just gets worse too. Like he's like, "What do you mean someone's saying that?" And then you know, along get his man. Don't worry, it's just a few people. And he's like, "Few people? What?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of again, Giffen and Demetrius together. You know, Giffen's doing the plot. Demetrius makes the script sing. It's just a, a powerhouse combination. This issue, wow! I mean, just the script was great. The art was great. The whole damn thing was just great. Such a good issue. Yeah. I, th- I think what they did so well as a team, I mean, you know, you could get to such a dark point with, with Despero, uh, in whether it's this issue or whether it's the, the one, you can say, a few issues back. But um, the, the, the injection of humor is not misplaced. It kind of follows the story. I mean, as dark as things get, they just have a, a way of overcoming it. You know, whether the, the humor is, consci- is consciously there or subconsciously there, it works with the story. It just it works so damn well with the story. It's, and that's what I love about yeah. it, Joe. So, so you get so caught up in the story and man, things are getting bad, but just uh, someone can say something or do something lighthearted. And that's what makes it so human. You know, I think, you know, uh, is it psychologists that say we use humor to overcome really dark spaces in mm. life, you know? So it's great that, uh, that, uh, that Keith and Mark and them did it so well. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's definitely, yeah. definitely what I think when I, when I watch the Avengers and there's that humor, even in like Endgame, and then there's, uh, or it was Infinity War and Groot's is then, um, Thor says to Captain, uh, Captain America, this is, my friend tree and Groot says I am Groot and Steve looks at him and goes I am Steve Rogers and it's like the humor there is very relatable <laughs> and it makes me think of the, the JLR so that's why I don't understand why we don't have more of that in comics nowadays yeah well I, Marvel really uh, tapped into that formula of adapting a lot of the humor I think and JLI was probably the first major breakthrough book to show that superheroes can be a funny office office drama you know workplace drama so no interesting I think Guardians of the Galaxy actually reminds me a lot of the JLR. Yeah, very, very much so. Yep. I'm like, wow, this, if the guys could take that, and I mean, if James Gunn could get a, a, a piece of that in what he's trying to create now uh, going forward, that would be quite interesting. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Thanks, can we trust? Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, so I got to ask you, I, I ask everyone at the end of this breakdown storyline. So, Breakdowns has a very divisive re- reputation. You know, some folks love it, some folks don't. Uh, I know, Jake, I know you've been following along, so you've been reading along, and Warren, I, I think it's been a little while since you've read some of these. I don't know where you're, you're going to fall on this, but, you know, so Breakdowns doesn't have the greatest reputation. So my question is, this issue, is this issue, uh, does it deserve the bad reputation? That I, and I think I know where we're going with all this. But anyway, does this issue deserve the bad reputation that Breakdowns does? Or is this issue better than most people remember? So let's start with you, uh, uh, Jake. That's definitely a redeeming issue for the Breakdown series. Some of the issues have been hit and miss, but this, from the get-go, it is... I would say one of my favorite Justice League stories, never mind just of the breakdown run, of the breakdown um, period. No, I think towards the end, it definitely got a lot better. I think, as you say, hit and miss in the sense of some of the art maybe was a bit of a letdown. Um, so some of the ways they could have used characters like Silver Sorceress could have been utilized a lot better for the story. You know, even as you, as you made mention in regards to Gypsy, I mean, you know, there's, there's some things that could have been handled a little bit better, but in the main, um, I, can't, I quite enjoyed it. Um, seeing it come to the conclusion, which you will reach in the, the next few months. Um, yes, uh, overall, I actually... I enjoyed it. I can't say anything bad about it, even remembering what I read back then. There was nothing that stood out for me that I hated. Um, I'd have to look at it with a different pair of eyes. I'd have to go back and read a lot of those stories again. I mean, now that I'm a, a few years older than what I was when I last read it, uh, the entire the entire run. 
but yes, I mean, I, I, lo- I love the jail line. I suppose there's a lot of biases that comes with that as well. I kind of overlook um, a lot of things too. You know, I'll look past maybe some of the, if I can call it, you know, missteps, whether it be with the characterization of certain people, where they could have been utilized better, or maybe even some of the art. Uh, because for me, it was always about, I suppose you could say four, four creators. Uh, it was Keith, it was James Dematis, it was Kevin Maguire, and of course, Andy Halfer, which I think a lot of people mustn't forget. He was so key in putting this, this team together that if he never did, we would never have gotten something that we love and cherish so much. Yeah, no, a great point and very eloquently said. Yeah. And from that bit of eloquence, I'm going to make it funny. Uh, we are now going to move into the... Wahaha Award. This is where we're going to nominate the funniest moment of the issue. Myself, Jake, and Warren, we're each going to pick one moment from the issue, and only one is going to be awarded the coveted Bwahaha Award. And I got to warn you guys, I'm going to I'm gonna bully my, my pick in for reasons I'll explain in a moment. But you guys go ahead and tell me, what do you think is the funniest moment in the issue? For me, the standout um, moment has to be when Booster interrupts the fight between Lobo and Guy, and then Lobo and Booster land up falling out of the sky. And you just see the little word bubble saying, oops as boosters falling, <laughs> plummeting out of the sky and guy popping his head up over the top saying, you can't have all the fun. He's just, he's nonstop. He will not give up. He's like a dog with a bone. He will not, <laughs> he will not give up. So yeah, that for me, that is like every time I read that, no matter how many times I've read it, I always have a laugh at that. Yeah, that's a great one. There's so many good moments in this issue. Warren, what would you say is the funniest moment in the book? Well, funny enough, uh, I mean, you know, as I always say with my biases, it'll always <laughs> be guy related, but it's a little bit later in the issue where um, Lobo's about to take uh, Booster Gold on and then Gar again flips him up in the air yeah. and he's got somebody's going to die and Gar's like, gotcha, <laughs> you miserable slime bucket. Gotcha, good. And then obviously Booster says, Gar, you saved me. And of course, he responds, sure did. Now, if I could only stand up. I mean, this <laughs> poor guy is so broken, but he's prepared and that's that comes down to his willpower and that's yeah. why he's a green lamp. You know, he'll, he'll fight to the bitter end. <laughs> that's a great one. I'll tell you, all right, so as I mentioned, I sort of led, I'm going to force the winner on this one. I'll tell you what I actually think is the funniest moment, but still not the one that's going to win. I think the funniest moment is that that interaction between Beetle and Elongated Man at the end when he just keeps teasing him, saying, oh, you're not just uh, you know an overweight good for nothing. And Beetle's just yeah. freaking out. I, I genuinely laughed out loud at those bits. However, I am going to pull the it's my show card and say that the winner <laughs> this month for reasons is when Beetle is flying the bug and he's frustrated and he, sa- he thinks to himself, you know, sometimes our lives are so out of control that it seems like there's some deranged writer somewhere making this all up as he goes along. And he goes, no, nah, that's too far-fetched. Besides, to think up this mess we're in now, it'd probably take two or three writers. Well, it's a funny bit, and given the loss of Keith uh, this week, uh, very, very fresh as we talk about this, I- I'm going to say that that one wins, because just, you know, it- it's about the writers of the book. So that one's going to win the Blahaha Award this time. We both nodding here, and we yeah. agree with you. Yeah. 100%. So congr- <laughs> congratulations, Ted. You have won the coveted Bwahaha Award. Please wear it with pride. It's as tangible as the laughter we give you. Now, Jake and Warren, I need to ask a favor. Would you guys mind hanging out here for a bit at the Secret Sanctuary and help sort of clean up what's left of Lord Havoc? There's little bits of chrome armor everywhere. It looks like someone's been stomping on a bunch of old classic superpowers action figures of Brainiac and Cyborg. You guys mind helping out? I think I feel a headache coming on. I don't know what, what's going on. I think someone might be coming back. Warren, you're going to have to do the cleanup. No, it's okay. <laughs> All right, Jake and Warren, don't worry. Uh, we will bring you back at the end of the show. And folks, after this podcast promo break, I am going to head over to Times Square for the 34th issue of Justice League Europe. 
It was a golden age. Our Martian civilization was at the height of its peace and prosperity. White Martians came from beneath the planet's surface, bringing fire from the planet's guts, and they burned us all. I lost my family. I came to Earth when my civilization was destroyed. Detective John Jones is what you might call my human alter ego. I'm not the only thing from outer space that's come, but right now I'm the only thing that can stop alien invasion. My name is John Jones. Also known as the Martian Manhunter. I'm Mars' sole survivor. There's a reason for that. I will defend Earth. You are the head of Kiabalu. Podcast available to iTunes. Shout Engine. And the Internet Archive. Doctor Fate, Doctor Midnight, Starman, Johnny Quick, Wildcat, Power Girl, All Star Squadron, Firebrand, Amazing Man, Huntress, Cyclone, Sandman, Mister Terrific, Commander Steel, Seven Soldiers of Liberty, Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps, and now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the Golden Age of Comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And now. Our coverage of Justice League Europe number 34, Breakdowns, Part 12. from break and i'm here with our second co-host for this episode and folks we have got another international co-host yeah we're on a streak this is great so this guest comes all the way from our england embassy and has been a long time commenter first time caller now now they are here to defend their crown as the world's biggest power girl fan folks please help me welcome to the show mr symbol pending welcome to the secret sanctuary symbol pending thanks for being here how you doing i'm fine thanks shack and please call me symbol pending mr pending was my dad's <laughs> you know, that brings up a good question. Yeah, so I, I was writing up the script. I'm like, symbol pending. That's a mouthful. If I'm going to be every time, say symbol. Like, should I call you symbol? Should I call you pending? Should I call you SP? Should I call you page? Should I call you power girl? Like, what, what's the right thing to call you? Oh, definitely, definitely no page whatsoever. Uh, SP will be fine. Okay. I can do that, SP. No problem at all. So no page whatsoever, huh? So, all right, folks, if you don't know at home, right now there is a, what, a, I guess a backup strip uh, or, or something in a special with power girl. Is that, is that right? Oh, she's got her own comment now. She's oh. in the big times. Okay. All right. So I, and as with everything, though, from DC right now, I assume it's a miniseries. They just haven't told us that yet. But uh, And so they're now calling her Paige rather than Karen Starr. Is that right? That is what I believe, yeah. So where do you fall on this whole Paige thing and the new powers and everything they're doing? See, it's kind of weird because I was never a fan of Karen. You know, Karen's kind of been ruined by the internet, so... <laughs> 
page is all right, but the whole kind of set was kind of weird because it was just kind of dumped on her by Connor. And mm-hmm. just, I, no, John, not Connor. Sorry. I'll get, I'll get my supers mixed up. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> there is a lot of them. And they got Natty, Natty jackets as well. So that I helped. know, I know. It feels like the Brown Jacket Avengers era again. <laughs> <laughs> or the conglomerate. Or the con- oh, even better. Right. Yeah, duh. Given this show, I should have said that. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, I kind of get it because I said Karen's a bit of a ruined name, so they have to go for something different. But it just kind of felt forced. I mean, or any kind of name change feels forced in comics. The comic itself isn't too bad, or I don't think it's too bad. A lot of people don't like it because it's kind of a sort of secret reboot. Mm-hmm. She's got only like mental powers and emotions powers and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I think she can do astral punching. So it's a little like um, Miss America, America Chavez from Marvel. Okay. She did like punch and teleport thing. Hmm. All right. But it's, it's all kind of up in the air a bit. Huh. They've not told us it's a reboot. But it's kind of a reboot, so people that like the old version of her don't like the new version, and like the people that have never heard the old version like the new version, it's kind of complicated. And I get where they're coming from to some extent, because I mean, let's face it, you know, first of all, Power Girl, she's not on the big stage. You know, outside of our circle of nerds, nobody knows who she is. They don't have a clue. So all the controversy we always went through between, oh, is she Atlantan? Is she Kryptonian? Which one is it? Blah, blah, blah. Nobody outside of us, like 15 nerds care, right? You know, I mean, it's, they really don't. I care deeply. It's just my job to care. That's one of the best Power Girl person in the world i get that i'm just saying outside <laughs> of our circle of friends right no that's totally fair because you know i mean melissa benoist as supergirl right i mean major star everyone knows who supergirl is now and everyone knows who kara or kara depending on your pronunciation is now and so having power girl having the name kara kara is a little complicated for people a little more complicated than it probably needs to be and so they're trying to create her own identity for it so i get that they have the best of intentions i haven't read the stuff so i can't whether it's good or not. I've heard very mixed reviews, but I, I don't hate it conceptually. If they're going to do something with her to put her in the main spotlight so people see who she is and they call her Paige, that's fine. If they're doing it just for us, again, us 15 nerds, well, they probably don't need to do that. Well, yeah, that's it. And I mean, the thing with all these kind of name changes, they never last. That's true. It helps like Power Girls kind of abandon her civil identity like half a dozen times. I think mm-hmm. every time she picks one up, five minutes later, she's abandoned it and she's just a superhero. The Jedi, it was perfect because at the very start of it, she was running her company. She mm-hmm. flew off to England, or sorry, Paris, and that was it. You never heard about her again. Exactly. She was living in the embassy, so no civil identity. Mm-hmm. So outside of the Palmiati and Connor Power Girl series, I mean, she really hasn't had much attention in years. So either way, you know what? I, I guess I need to get out there and just give it a try. Uh, I like Lilith, so the fact that Lilith's kind of bumming around with her is might be interesting to me so either way so uh, the good news is though that you're here and you're here to talk about power girl and you're here to defend your crown from john coos who keeps trying to steal it as the number one power girl fan i can't trust any man to be the best when he forgets an important appearance of stinky the cat <laughs> this, this irreplaceable part of the power girl mythos and he forgot she was in collective fun from in stock trades That was terrible. That wounded me. He's coming for you, John. Look out. (laughs) 
Well, you know, since we're talking about uh, comic books and, and things you've read, I, I do want to find out from you, what got you reading comic books? Like, or specifically, what got you reading the JLI? How did you find the JLI? What made you fall in love with the book? You know, what, what's your thoughts on it? The weird thing is, is that when I was growing up in the UK, we didn't get American comic books. Or if we did, they were like really rare. So you get them for like a treat or something. But we're really big on anthology series. So like mm-hmm. a couple of stories collect together. The most famous one that people probably thought is two. 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. But then also you had like Marvel UK started doing that. And then a company called London Edition started doing DC comics. They did a load of them for a while. They did a Superman comic. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I picked it up. It's not from the first, it's like issue 20. And it's got the first Superman story I read was the one where they were trying to fix why Superboy was in the Legion. Oh, okay. Pocket Universe, all that stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And best thing is, the second one I read was the Big Bada Sleaze issue. Oh, goodness. That one's not yes. infamous at all. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, I'm still a fan. So, you know, mm-hmm. is, I mean, Big Bada, very important. Very big part of Jedi as well. So, Oh, yeah. But issue 20 has two other stories. The first one's the Green Lantern story, which I completely forgot, which shows how big a fan of Green Lanterns I am. It even mm-hmm. has John Stewart in it. Mm-hmm. Still didn't remember anything about it. But the third one was the Justice League International, like issue Woo- one. Woohoo! <laughs> I don't know if that was it, but I kept picking it up for, like, I guess, about a year or so. So it had like the first story, you know, up to one punch, obviously. And I think I got up to, it's like Grey Man thing. So I didn't get a lot of it. I missed out on JLE, but that was it. And then hit that age, went off to university, forgot about it completely. Oh, it happens. <laughs> it happens. It happens a lot. I keep, you keep saying, so it was only like in the 2000s, like 2005, online comics started to become a thing so I started getting back into DC I think I started back with DC in 52 mm-hmm. this series not the reboot and so I think the first time like I saw members of the Jedi again is is that incident okay you know, the one that didn't happen with Max right. Ryan, Blue Beetle. I understand where you were going with that no worries <laughs> Just for our fans, you know, they need to know these things. Mm-hmm. So then I think I picked up, I can't believe it's not Justice League, and the other one, which name escapes me at the moment, but I'm sure you know. Formerly known as the Justice League. That would be one. Thank you, boss. And then basically you find your podcast, and that's what it is from here on in. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I unless I'm mistaken, I believe those British comics reprints you were reading with Superman and JLI stories together, I believe the editor on some of those was our own Martin Gray. So uh, I believe Martin had a part in it, so I got a big thank you to Martin because he's got me where I am today. I'm here because of Martin. So, you know, a lot of love. All one big family. All one big family. (laughs) Definitely. Well, since we're talking about Jan, let's get into it. What do you say? Let's go for it. All right. This is Justice League Europe number 34, published by DC Comics, cover dated January 1992, on the shelves December 3rd, 1991. Cover price is $1. The cover is by Derek Robertson and Bruce Patterson. SP, you want to describe the cover for us? For those interested, it costs 60 shiny pennies, which is about 30 bob, or very importantly, 60 penny chews. I think it's something that we can all understand. Uh, it's perfectly clear as mud. Absolutely. <laughs> In a very shocking decision, just gone against the grain of the comments of the last couple of months, they decided to put Despero and Lobo on the cover. <laughs> okay. 
But this time, the league are basically those trying to stop them fighting. So John is tackling Despero, whilst Ted is obviously asking for help. Whilst Paul Carr is taking a knee to the face, which is mm. very unpleasant. Whilst Lobo is being stopped by Metamorpho and Rocket Red, I think. Or he's hovering below the ground with his arm held out vaguely. Very hard to tell either way. Yeah. And this is what sort of got me. On Lobo's right arm is some kind of brown scarf with a pattern on it. <laughs> I think it's from a hero, but I can't place it. I'm pretty sure that's Metamorpho's leg, actually. So it's like, that could be his leg, I suppose. One of his appendages, and I can never remember which one, but I'm pretty sure it's one of his legs, has sort of that weird mud splatter pattern. So I'm pretty sure that's Metamorpho, you know, got his arm stretched out around Lobo's neck, and he's using his legs to stretch around his arm. He's holding two things back, so good for Metamorpho. <laughs> It just looks very weird when you describe it that way, but yeah. Yeah, it's a little strange. <laughs> but so, yeah, uh, poor Rocket Red. He looks like he's trying to get in the mix, but either he, maybe he's flying there and he's just not there yet. I'm not sure. I don't know. He could be vibing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's got some really good tunes on his Walkman. That could be too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's got one. I mean, think about it. With his assimilation to American culture in 1991, 92, yeah, he's absolutely got a Walkman. Maybe even a Discman at this point. I'm not sure. Those things skip. So, you know, it might not be the best. <laughs> In the background, by the way, is all fire. So it, it, so one of the things I like about this is the coloring works well. Because the background's all fire, so it's all yellows and reds. Because all the other ones, you know, bright pink and orange and green, like the cover, cover figures really pop well. So the, the, the background work, works well for that. Yeah, this is quite a vibrant little cover. I must admit, I quite like it. Yeah, now, I will say, all right, so you you called it about Lobo and Despero being on the cover together again. Uh, so it is a little disappointing that, like, I, I looked at the, and I put it here in the document for you and I to see, the cover of issue 33 and 34 side by side, they're not really that different. You know, it's, it's Lobo versus Despero fighting each other with the JLE sort of in chaos around them. So if, if I was walking into the comic book shop and I saw this on the shelves, I might think this was the same issue from last month because i'm like oh yeah it's, uh, those two fighting again i guess or, or okay yeah i already got that one yeah there's, there's only so many ways you can put the two figures in a fight and the one before you've just covered uh-huh that's quite stark that's quite a good cover yeah because it really it really stands out but like you said these two they kind of merge together don't they yeah they really do and it's also a bit misleading because you know lobo and despero like they barely come face to face in this issue at all right and the whole despero thing is resolved by like page seven so i mean they're really like you said they're really dragging it out to you know because they know it's what's going to sell right they know putting these characters on the cover even though neither one are on the team uh it will sell the comics that's why they're doing it and i get that i guess especially uh, lobo stood in numbers back then wasn't he so he is a force to be reckoned with yeah he's still pretty new in the game i mean he's only on his what second miniseries i think it is but it's, it's selling really well and dc's looking for their version of wolverine that's for sure so and now if you think about the teams themselves on this cover here on 34 you do get three just like europe members and two just like america members so it is nice that since this is the europe book you get a little more representation from europe so that's good uh i do love beetle's face too so beetle looks terrified he's <laughs> sadly beetle's on top and supposedly he's the one who's holding despero's arm back that might not be the best plan i did a little speech bubble as well i mean yeah I, I know you i know you love speech bubbles on covers and i quite like them as well i am a sucker for a word balloon absolutely <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's like to be a little delicate he's a little on the chunky side which you know that's yep. that's what the character is at the time so it's a good representation of him yeah and the whole thing looks great I mean Derek Robertson really did a beautiful job on this cover Bruce Patterson is the inker as well but I think it's a great looking cover again it's a little repetitive of last month but I don't care you look at it singularly it's a great cover it looks great Lobo's spot on too he looks fantastic I think it's fun yeah yeah no I enjoy it I think it's a great cover all right well what do you say we get into this Okie dokie, go for it. All right, inside, plot and breakdowns by Keith Giffen, dialogue by Gerard Jones, penciler is Derek Robertson, inker is Randy Elliott, letterer is Willie Schubert, colors to Gene D'Angelo, assistant editor is Kevin Dooley, and editor is Andy Helfer. This is Breakdowns Part 12, Blood Dimmed Tide. You want to start us off? Okay, we start with the title, Blood Dimmed Tide, which, like the rest of this part of Breakdowns, is based on a poem by somebody called Yates or Yeats or something like that. (laughs) First page... Starts with a couple of floating heads down the side of all the JLE members. Personal favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Though it doesn't really matter because most of the characters won't appear for quite a few pages inward. But there you go. Uh, we pick up straight from Justice League 58, which if you don't know what has just happened, we've already covered it in the podcast before. So, you know, go back, have a listen. I'm touched. Just get straight to me. But, you know, go back. I can wait. It's all good. <laughs> We start with John being unconscious and being defended by Flash and Booster Gold's team, the conglomerate, who are all wearing the same monogram leather jackets, which, as we've discussed before, is look that's very 90s and also never going to happen again. <laughs> Shag is shaking his head here and tapping his watch, so let's put things up a bit. Yeah, we're still on page one, buddy. <laughs> Despero, an alien, is trying to destroy the Justice League, led by Jihan, a green alien. Meanwhile, another alien, social with green, Kilowog, has built a doohickey out of Elrond, an alien robot, to stop Despero. He arrives just in time as Lobo, an alien bounty hunter, is about to take down Despero. Despero attacks Kilowog instead, so he uses a doohickey that somehow puts Elrond's mind in Despero's body. At that point, Manga Khan, an expressive alien entrepreneur, Turns up to take away Anna Rosborough. <laughs> Not only having an option, El Rosborough's assurances the league allows it to happen, and all the aliens except for those on the league leave, and also some humans are involved. <laughs> I hadn't thought about how many aliens are all doing all this stuff. All right, folks, I'll take from here. So on the island of Kahui, 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 the evil dream slayer, who is in control of the body of Maxwell Lord, is frustrated. He has lost his minion, Lord Havoc, and he can't get his other extremist robots functional. So he makes plans to raise another army. In space, aboard the cluster ship, El Ronsboro, I really like that, I'm going to use that. So El Ronsboro insists on a pay raise from Manga Khan and informs his lord that things are going to change around here. Then we get a couple glimpses, uh, interludes, where Metamorpho and Power Girl are happy and they are watching the news and the news is actually celebrating the JLI for a change. Elsewhere, a Blue Beetle returns Booster to the conglomerate headquarters, enjoying their time together and their friendship. Then at the JLA cave, Marsha Manhunter, Catherine Colbert, and Silver Sorceress, they compare notes about their encounter with Lord Havoc, and they've all come to the same sad conclusion. Maxwell Lord must be behind Lord Havoc's attack, and unbelievably, Max must be being controlled by the villainous Dream Slayer. Jean orders Beetle to Florida to check on Mitch Wacky, where the heroes last heard from Mitch. Sadly, we know as the reader that Mitch was murdered by Dream Slayer slash Maxwell Lord. 
You know, I think his shipping name is going to be Dream Slayer Lord. We'll go with that. So Silver Sorceress believes that Dream Slayer Lord is manipulating the JLI into moving against him for some reason. Then back on Kui Kui Kui, Dream Slayer Lord is awaiting the JLI, anticipating their arrival, and he is ready for them with an army of his own. Hundreds and hundreds of Kui 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 warriors under his murderous thrall. Dun, dun, dun. Next issue box reads in JLA number 59, the League has a very fatal run-in with the new extremists. Oof. All right, so lots to unpack here. Lots going on this issue. Big turning point. What'd you think? I enjoyed it as an issue, so you know. No, I, I agree. And, you know, there's some people who, though, I think felt a little bit cheated because, you know, Despero is defeated on page seven, right? So asking you, do you find that anticlimactic or is it like hilarious? What do you think? I'm not really big on the fighting part of the comics. I'm more mm-hmm. of a sort of soap opera kind of person. Mm-hmm. So, but to be fair and balanced, I've also criticized the JLI in general, hasn't had a lot of fighting in it before. So, me personally, I think it's the right balance in this issue that I think they probably could have cut an issue. And it would have probably worked better. Mm-hmm. I do like that the fight's relatively short, ended in quite a clever way, which is which they've been setting up like, the last couple of issues. So the whole thing with Elrond Sparrow is properly set up. It's not something that happens out of nowhere. We, the readers, know kind of what's going to happen at that point. I think it's Giffen also shown off a little bit because, I mean, I must not have been the only one that's been critical of this run for its lack of, like, fights. So what he's done is he's given, like, three-ish issues of a fight. He split fairly evenly between those issues, and the, every part of the fight's been different, but it's also moved the plot on. So the only bit that's kind of a bit off is where they kind of slow Lobo down for an issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could do without that. But I think in general, the fight flows about right. Obviously, and like I, th- I think of it like a modern TV show. You've got like an A plot and a B plot. Yeah. And like, so the A plot's the like the Despo part, and then you've got the Kui 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 stuff kind of in the background, sort of churning along. I personally think the balance is right. I get why if you're going into this after the Bwahaha stuff or you want more of the kind of punchy-punchy stuff, then you're going to be disappointed because it's finally balancing all of those sort of parts together. No, I agree. And it, it's been going for three issues. So it is time to wrap it up. So I don't honestly feel cheated that it got done on issue seven, or page seven, I mean. Uh, because again, like you said, the previous two issues, they gave us a lot of it. We got to see a lot of it. It's been all building. You know, the Elrond story, you're absolutely right. That's all, I mean, people may not have known exactly what was going to happen, but they knew Elrond was involved in stopping Despera somehow. You know, So it was all there, all in front of them. So it makes sense the way it played out. So I don't feel cheated at all, especially I like what happens on the back end of the issue and all the setup for what's going to happen in the in the final few parts of the story. So I, I, I think you're right. I think it's a good balance. And again, it was time to wrap up the Despero story. And, and the good news, too, is on page three, at least we get one more butt shot of Despero before he's gone. So Because I, I think that's important to keep that m- motif going. It's a shame he couldn't be wearing a doily to get all of the necessary parts, but right? you know, can't have everything. <laughs> Brett would appreciate us bringing that up. So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he knows. His story sense is tingling. Yep, yep. One thing I'd like to point out, I, I don't know whether it's deliberate, but it's a nice synchronicity, mm-hmm. is the front part of the story is a bad guy that has a good guy's consciousness 
in it, put into it, which is kind of setting you up for the revelation, even though we kind of know that the back half has a good guy. And I, I got to put that in scare quotes because, you know, more, modern Maxwell, but has a bad guy being put into his head. So it kind of like works together. The, the first half sort of informs the second half. Wow. That is a really cool observation I hadn't even thought of. That's really clever. It's giving. I would suspect it's it's deliberate, but even though it's like a really good way to look at the issue, mm-hmm. I, well, I like to think it is anyway. Well, it's your idea, so that would make sense why you like it. <laughs> but uh, it's a really good observation I hadn't even thought of, and it is. It's a nice symmetry. It really is, and it's perfectly balanced because like it's eleven pages of one and eleven pages of the other, so mm-hmm. it's probably fifty fifty. Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the it's the Despro stuff up front, and then the Max stuff on the back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess part of it is if you've been skipping the JLI, I assume you have to get information from the JLE. And I think that this would be your time when you would kind of get it all sort of explained to you. So I guess it's quite clever the way he's done that. You can only follow one and still work out what's going on. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that this month, whether you could follow just one book versus the other. But no, you make a good point. They, they do give you all the salient points there, yeah. You know, as, as I look at this first page, uh, I do think, I did realize something. There is, uh, in the battle on the front end, there is a bit of a discrepancy between the end of the JLA issue that we just covered and this JLE issue. And that discrepancy is that the team from the JLA cave from last issue have now arrived in Times Square. So Elongated Man, General Glory, Crimson Fox, Silver Sorcerers, and Blue Jay, they were all in the cave at the end of the issue. Now they're here. So the question is, okay, how'd they get here? Well, it seems like Blue Beetle's been ferrying everyone around. However, Blue Beetle and Kilowog aren't here yet. So there, again, there's a bit of a discrepancy on how these folks got here. Actually, I guess it's not page one. I'm sorry. They come in on page two. But um, how did these guys get here without Blue Beetle? And I, I can no prize it. You know, I can say that Kilowog needed more time. So Blue Beetle ferried one group, came back, and then got Kilowog or something. Or maybe they used the teleporters. I don't know. But it just uh, did strike me that, oh, wait, these folks weren't here in this battle last issue, you know, or when the last issue ended. Yeah, it's kind of weird. They said, because it looks like Beetle's just been very kilowog back and forth so mm-hmm. i mean some of them can fly so maybe that but i said it just doesn't work because they're all there set up and ready to go aren't they it's kind of weird they've done it that way well they're all sweeping in very specifically in the third panel on page two so it looks almost like that's their arrival because they're yeah. all you know they're all there together at that moment so it makes you think okay they, they came in together must be yeah, I suppose you can't see the sky, so you're kind of no prize sort of works, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, either way. Don't mean to don't mean to harp on it too much. I mean that's the problem when you do a podcast, right? You you spend too much time looking at all the ridiculous details. <laughs> so when you go with the crazy fairies, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing I would put, I, it's a weird kind of art decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, on page nine, you've got like the little group shot and you've got Power Girls. Obviously, I'm going to bring it back to my girl. And she's got her Atlantean sigil, or whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. it's really low on the art. Hmm. It's like almost a crotch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like it, a really low is, is a nice way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's on the privates, folks. <laughs> I've had a quick look through because obviously I study any pictures of Power Gun in a lot of detail for like reference and it's not on any of the other pictures. So I wonder if somebody's turned around and said she should have that and it just kind of stuck it on, so to speak. That's why it looks so weird. It could be. I was thinking it was just like a belt buckle and it was slowly sliding off her uniform because by the time you get to page 17, you get like a full shot of her. It's gone completely. So maybe it was just sliding down her costume and eventually fell off. It's just, just kind of rolling around on the floor somewhere. I'm sure she's going to not worry about that cultural artifact like that, you know, right. rolling around in New York somewhere. 
Well, she's not too far away from getting that other costume, so uh, maybe that's not an issue for her right now. A costume that we don't have to talk about because it's not in the Giffen Damien Harris era. But it's, it's not my favorite, you know. Not, it's not, not the worst, but I like the yellow and white one. Not a fan of that other one with the headband. I, I do quite like this costume. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about art, I got lots to talk about art. You want to do that real quick? Yeah, go for it. First of all, Derek Robertson is crushing this book. It is so good. Oh my gosh! I mean, what a powerhouse as an art guy. Now this issue a little different because normally John Beatty's been inking him all this time. This time he's inked by Randy Elliott, who's normally a Bart Sears inker. So a little bit different vibe, but still works really nicely. Uh, the splash page with the floating heads. I want to talk about that for a minute because you said how much you love that. All of us classic JLI guys, we love the floating head motif, right? I mean, we're just programmed for it. I mean, the first JLI comics I picked up, you know, be- was the Crisis on Earth Prime because of the floating heads. I love it. Oh, that, that was great. It's just oh, a yeah. little, little look on Robot Man. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is really shocked, and he's looking really chilled about it. <laughs> it's just that really stood out for me. Such a good run. But so here, uh, it's interesting because, you know, the Justice League American, Justice League Europe books have been converging throughout breakdowns, right? They've been going seamlessly from one book to the next. And the delineation between the teams really has kind of gone away, you know, as far as who's America, who's Europe at this point. So it's interesting here that they still made a very strict point of trying to delineate that this is a Justice League Europe book, because all the heads are Justice League Europe. There's no Justice League America members on there. So, I mean, it is their book. It makes sense. So I just, it's uh, because the book's flowing seamlessly, I just thought it was interesting. It's not about individual teams that they stuck to it here. It is, it is an interesting choice. It's where they didn't do like a mix up. Because, I mean, you check some of these aren't in it a lot or at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think Rocket gets much to do, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So why didn't swap out one or two of them for, so like, the American members are not now, or just like those are in it, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. I especially like uh, Rocket Red, I think looks great. I think Silver Sorceress looks great. Power Girl looks great. She's got kind of an angry face on. Elongated Man looks great. And Flash, oh, I love Flash. Because, you know, once he got the white eye lenses, which is around this time, some people would draw those white eye lenses huge, and it would look silly, right? But here, he gave him little tiny small eye slits, and it just works so right. And this is what Flash's, the white opaque lenses are supposed to look like for me is like that. I think it just looks really sharp. Yeah, no, it's good. He's definitely scowling. It's good luck. Mm-hmm. And sadly, I, I, one criticism would be, where's Catherine Colbert? I mean, I realize she doesn't go in the, in the field to fight, but come on, she's the boss. Yeah, she should have quite a place there. Maybe at the bottom, you know, covering up. Or the top. Thank you very or much. The, or the top. Yeah, top would work as well. <laughs> I, I guess it wouldn't really work with the frame, but yeah, no, more Catherine with a big hair. Uh, more Catherine all the time, every day. So, <laughs> so I'm going I'm to just keep going through art because it's so beautiful. And this issue is just gorgeous. I love on page two, Booster Gold screaming. He's yelling, you're like, he's killing them. Conglomerate, take them. And it just, he looks like, you know, he's in command. It's all in single color of, you know, like bright yellow light on him. But the, but the pencil and the inking looks great. He's got that pop collar, which I love so much. He just looks boss. You know, they really, really do a great job with uh, Booster with under Derek Robertson pencils. It's really good. The, the one next to the Silver Sorceress as well. Mm-hmm. The way she gets really concerned, but she's like doing a magic mojo and that. It's, like I said, it's really good art. It's, yeah. really, it's really crisp lines. I mean, I'm not big on art, but even I can appreciate when art is good and this is good art. So Yeah. And I mean, you know, Kev McGuire set the tone with Justice League early on and facial expressions was so key to his run. And here again, you're getting great facial expressions because, uh, you know, Robertson understands it. He understands the mission of the book, of the artist here, and he just delivers. 
Yeah, I mean, you could say the GLI is about facial expressions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the really because it's about characters, so they all have their own characteristics, I guess. So, and the art expresses that, which is what you want it to do. So, yeah, I got, I got a few more facial expressions, which looks great. Like page seven, Lobo looks amazing. He's screaming. He's super pissed off because you know Elrond's just taken over Despero's body, uh, El whatever it is, Desperanzo or whatever. <laughs> <Elrond's bro. laughs> yeah. He's got no feelings as well. It's very important to know that. Yes. Uh, but seeing Lobo screaming, raw, just looks awesome. <laughs> and then uh, over on page 10, Catherine Colbert, she is letting Manga Khan have it on page 10. And it just, I love that little, fa- first of all, the facial expression looks great, you know, but it's also showing her leadership. And she's climbing uh, Manga Khan's butt about the destruction of New York being his responsibility. So I love that. I, I, I love seeing Catherine in charge. That's always awesome. And then uh, the next page, Kara gets a beautiful shot where she's just, she's, she's looking worried. She's worried about uh, Elrond there. And then Kilowog looks amazing as well. I was just going to say something. They, they just complement each other perfectly. Yeah. And that just like really, and a big, big earrings. Very important, those big earrings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's, it's it's down to Derek Robertson. And then finally, I just want to talk about like uh, Max's, Max's expressions then later on page like, anytime you see Max, he's got these glowing eyes, right? He's got an angry face and glowing eyes. And damn, he looks scary. You know, Maxwell Lord, he's just a dude in a in a in a dress shirt. That's all he is. And yet Derek Robinson makes him terrifying looking, and that's impressive. Not to disrespect him, but the costume looks a little kind of hokey, but somehow with the glowing eyes and like the wholesome rag bit of it, it really works really well, even though, like I said, the costume's a little hokey, so you know. Yeah, they've given him like He Man's trunks and belt or something there, <laughs> and like a a, a bearskin rug as a as a cape. I don't know. But uh but otherwise it's just again it's Derek Robertson just draws creepy dudes really well. So I was just looking back, like page 20, mm-hmm. the Silver Sorceress looking all concerned. Yeah. That's really good as well. I mean, like I said, good facial expressions. You can really tell that she's worried about what she's found out. And she looks tired too. Mm-hmm. We could probably do this all day, just going on about how good the art is. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned Silver Sorceress, because I mean, moving away from the art and talking about the story, like she got more screen time this issue than pretty much any time since she joined the team. Like she, She's never had this much screen time which just kind of tells you what's probably coming, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I might have peaked a little ahead, so I know what's going to happen. But yeah, it's not a good. It's not normally a good sign. It's those episodes when like a bit character suddenly gets a, a whole episode to themselves, and you yeah. know that's it for them. That yeah. contract is up. To put it politely, clock's ticking. <laughs> yeah, sadly. So uh, let's see a couple of things. You know, I love seeing Booster and Ted together. This episode issue, you know, they had fun together. They're joking around together. It's it's been too long. They've been separated too long. You know, Booster really needs to come back to the team. I thought it was going to happen this issue. It still hasn't happened. He went back to the conglomerate. So uh, hopefully, it's going to happen soon. Um, maybe or maybe it doesn't happen until Jergens comes along. I'm not sure. But Booster's really missing. Of course, it, it's really surprising because they're so well known for like the Jedi's Hulk. It's amazing how long. Bo- Boosters out of the comic. Right, right. I mean, I'm sure you have the numbers because they're iconic together. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I know a lot of people don't like it, but they're a couple. Yeah. Bro couple or couple couple, whichever you prefer, you know, Mugga Yucky Arm. But, and then he's hardly in it for big chunks of the comic. It's kind of weird. It's been, I think, two years since he left the team, which is kind of crazy. I know. Yeah, again, like you said, because I mean, when people think of JLI, they think of very quickly Beetle and Booster. So it, it's sort of a, 
It's not a false memory, but it's a memory that maybe that's not quite earned because, again, he was gone for so long. You flick it the other way around. I mean, I know fire and ice are getting like a big thing and technically the other JLI, but that's fine. But once they come in, they slip throughout the whole run more or less, don't they? Mm-hmm. But they're not as iconic as Ted and Booster mix and match Booster and Beetle, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, they they never got uh, Fire and Ice never really got the attention they deserved. You know, more of it went to Beetle and Booster and their hijinks. There should have been more with Fire and Ice, uh, but they just didn't work into the comic. Maybe because they figured boys were reading it. I don't know. But uh, they should have given more time to Fire and Ice. Absolutely. I mean, luckily now, it looks like they are getting some more attention, so hopefully that'll go, because like you said, probably a mini, but we'll wait and see. First two issues are on the shelf now, so check them out, folks. Uh, Welcome to Small I think it's the subtitle of that one. That's the one, yeah. Yep, and they uh, they were just recently in an issue of Blue Beetle as well, where Ted got injured, and uh, Fire and Ice and Guy Gardner and I want to say somebody else, I can't remember, all showed up at like his bedside to worry and can be concerned about him, so... Oh, I'll have to share that one out. Yeah. So other thoughts, like, you know, the, we do see the conglomerate, which you talked about, but it really does, w- without spending a lot of time on it, it really does sort of remind you how the conglomerate are the lesser team. You know, they're you're looking at their power level compared to the Justice League and what they're able to do, and you're looking at the conglomerate going, yeah, those guys are junior league. They're not, they're not the big boys. So you see very quickly, like, yeah, they need to get out of the way. They're not going to survive this fight. Yeah, I mean, a little late now, but it would have been interesting to see the fight from their point of view. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would have been fascinating. One thing I double-checked, Booster wasn't on the JLI when Despo was here last time, so I thought maybe that was an error. Mm. But I actually think he was already out of the team by the time Despo turned up before. Yeah, it was like an issue or two before. Uh, he, he, He stormed out. Yeah, because I thought maybe because he very definitely attacks the JLI and it's even Kilowog, but he didn't attack him, and I thought maybe it was an error, but not spot on, continuity solid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he said the conglomerate. I don't even have distinct looks. I mean, the leather jacket look just doesn't do him any favors. Tread carefully. I like leather jackets. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you right. Know, you're right. Power goes wearing one right now, so I can't say too much bad about it. There but you go. Yep. The problem with it is it tends to sort of mush them together, so it's harder to turn them apart. Yeah. They all got ponytails or long hair, or they all look extreme and whatever. But yeah, and here, they're just like, you can even see a Vibe's brother. Uh, I can't remember whether he's called Echo or Reaver at this point, but he's just like, his power against Despero is like, boop, 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 boop. it's like little tiny, th- like Despero's like, what, what is that? You tickling me? What do you, what's going on there? So yeah, they just, they just don't, you know, they don't rank, they don't rank high enough in the power scheme to handle someone like Despero. Now you said they're like third, fourth page are gone. Yeah. It says a lot about them. Yep. So let's talk more about, all right, you got to help me again. El Speranzo. What is this? How do I say it? El Ronsboro. El Ronsboro. Okay. El Ronsboro, yeah. I'm going to get that wrong any second now. But anyway, I love that he's still got, if you look at the word balloons, he's still got Despero's gravelly voice. So he's like, you know, very casually being like, oh dear. But it's still like, oh dear. You know, that's what it probably sounds like. So I love that he's got that voice with the with, with Elrond sort of sensibilities. Just shouting very politely. <laughs> that's right. It's an exclamation point still. You're right. <laughs> And then, of course, Megacon. So Megacon comes here, right? And he commits, this is his quote, a reasonable portion of my next season's cash flow to the reconstruction of this unfortunate city. And he's talking about, like, you know, because Times Square, because it's really his fault. So do you believe that he'll actually give enough money to help out? I mean, it's Manga Khan. He might give some, because he probably doesn't want to look too close into why Despero turned up. 
because I assume the league doesn't know that he sort of kind of set them on the trail. Mm-hmm. But I doubt he, he's going to leave some money. He's going to go away and he's going to hope that nobody tracks him down, basically. <laughs> You're probably right. They're going to need a, like a, a collection agency to go after him later, probably. <laughs> you get Lobo to do it. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that would be ironic, wouldn't it? I, I, <laughs> I do like on page 14 when like uh, L. Ronsboro is giving Manga Khan a hard time. But the way they do it is they just show the cluster ship floating above Earth. And all the word balloons are there. It's so, like you never see the characters. It's just this long conversation. But you never see them. You just see the ship floating in space. And L. Ronsboro is like giving him a hard time. I li- it's a clever storytelling technique. Yeah. This neat way of doing that. Yeah. So, all right. You're here. You're the guy with Power Girl. So let's talk about uh, one of the elephants in the room here. There's a there's a great page where Power Girl and Rex have a conversation about how the television is being very positive. They're they're praising the Justice League for saving the day, which is great. That doesn't happen very often, right? And they're both very very happy about it. And she's extremely happy. And Metamorpho calls her out on it. Uh, he says, Say, uh, "You sound like you're in a pretty chipper mood." And he's he's like, you know, and they talks about. I imagine that uh, conk on the head was good for you, and basically implying changed her mood. So, and she says, you know, she's not sure what's uh, going on with the mood swings. Uh, she says she wishes she understood. Now, it's not going to be wrapped up during the Giffen D. Mateus era. They're going to leave that dangling for the following writer, the guy who's scripting these things, to take over and do that plot point, which is going to be a spoiler, I guess, but we're not covering it. And we've talked about it before in the show. Yeah, it's it's diet soda, which is causing her mood swings. So how do you feel here about, about this page independently, with her being in a better mood? How do you feel about the mood swing stuff? What do you think? I've got to admit, this issue is really good for Power Girl. I really like, she's, like I said, she's confident. She knows what she's doing. She gets it all done. And then she's got that little bit at the end where she's really happy that it's all kind of panned out. Generally, a lot of this run, and I guess after it, I don't like her personality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. She's just not a nice person. And I don't know who's for it is but it tends to be she's the most bitchy to the other female characters hmm. i mean like metamorpho here she seems to get on with but you see when she's been talking before with like crimson fox and they do get very catty together i mean and she's probably the worst of that hmm. and i'm not a fan of where this plot goes no 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 it's not an eloquent way of putting that, but I just think it's a really stupid plot. I mean, I don't think it's the stupidest because, as I believe, it gets even weirder from there on out. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. <laughs> I mean, no. But I don't know why they were doing it. I've never got what their plans were for Power Girls as a whole. First of all, she was a heavy hitter, and then they decided to depower her, and then slowly she's been getting more powerful again. Because obviously, when it's their fight desperate, they need her to be sort of up. And then she has these mood swings, and the characters are over this place, basically. Yeah. So Giffen has said in different interviews that they didn't, they couldn't get a handle on Power Girl until they gave her Stinky the Cat. Once they gave her the cat, they felt like they started to get a handle on her. Because I mean, you know, Giffen was there in those very early All Star comics, right? The Super Squad. He was he was the artist drawing her, and she was pretty angry in those early issues. I mean, she was pretty crappy to Wildcat, and she was angry all the time. So I feel like they just started with that as their base point. And just extrapolated and made her angrier and angrier and angrier to the point where she was just an angry woman, which is unfortunate because they didn't, they could still have her be angry and, you know, being, you know, maybe a, a bit aggressive, 
but develop her more. You can still develop an angry person and tell a story with them and tell it's not that being angry is the problem, it's that they didn't develop her beyond that. And then you get later on where the scripter changes and you've got this new scripter who's going to eventually take over and obviously he's looking for an angle with her too. And I think he's trying to make her nicer. That's why he, he brings up the mood swings. So he's trying to say, oh, she's got mood swings. I'm going to make her nicer. I don't know. Maybe that's what he's thinking. I don't know. But it, it was just a bad way to go about it. Bit of weird course correct because obviously I've covered all the old All-Stars and what they did is they gave her a friend that she could bounce off. That's what Huntress is. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when Crisis happened, Huntress went away in between panels, which I'm never going to forgive them for, but there you go. So all they needed to do was just like have her bounce off another character, which what they're doing in this issue, she's bouncing off Metamorpho. Mm-hmm. If they set up so her and Crimson Fox were like friendly rivals, maybe that would have worked really well. And that would have given them an angle. And they said a night like, stinky good way to do it. Cause it shows she has a care inside mm-hmm. and she I think partly she does it. So one does out because nobody likes stinky, but that's not the point. <laughs> Stinky's the bestest cat. So, you know, <laughs> I like her being the, anger's not the right word, but I like her being the straight man, if you will, using that term, where, like, when when you'd have a, a situation that's escalating, it's like, okay, you know, Metamorpho's goofing around, Elongated Man's goofing around, and you go, oh, crap, Power Girl's pissed. Look out, you know, because she's a powerhouse. And I like that idea, where she can be the stern one, but again, if it, they, it required further development to go beyond her just being the angry person. You know, you can, again, it's... Either way, we've we've kind of gone around in circles on this, but uh, I, I just wanted to get your take on it, given your uh, you know your love and obvious. Now you know we actually haven't said it on the air, but I mean, folks, if you don't know, Symbol Pending runs a Power Girl blog, right? I do indeed, symbol-pending.com. So please come visit. I'd love to hear what other people think about her. It's really because like before I started the blog, I didn't really know the character that well. But now that I've read a lot, not all of them, but a fair chunk of the comments, I actually really like the character. And I think there's a lot more than what the obvious thing that people say about her. She has a lot more depth than people give her. And sometimes she gets shortchanged because writers just don't know what to do with her. So mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree completely. Uh, and last kind of comment I really had was I love the scenes where Marsh Manhunter is talking with Catherine Colbert and then eventually Silver Sorceress, where they piece it all together. You know, their, their detective skills, if you will, whatever it is, they have figured out because of the way Lord Havoc came in, they figured out, okay, it's got to be Max. And because of that, it's got to be Dream Slayer. I like the way they put that in. Artistically, it's a great series of pages, the way he uses uh, kind of a, not quite a nine panel grid but he uses sort of that format but he plays with it to make the panels different. You get a great panel of the, what do you call that, the air vent, the shading across them because the lighting's coming through. That's on page 16 where the, the lighting is hitting Martian Manhunter. It looks fantastic. You get a close up of Martian Manhunter's, you know, close eyes and his eyebrow. It's just a great set of the, artistically it's beautiful and I love them solving the issue. Getting there and going okay, it's Max, it's Dream Slayer Lord and He's baiting us. He wants us to come get him. I like the bit when they all figure out that she knows now, so that means he's not blocking her, which means he's ready for us. So they... They're in trouble, basically, because yeah. he wants them to turn up, basically. And they're going to have to. I mean, how else are you going to stop him? So they know that he's waiting for him, but they've still got to do something about it. It's a great ending. It's great. Yeah, no, it's, great ending. it's really classy. Yeah. Great, all, done. all right. So now is the point where I'm going to ask you uh, about breakdowns. You know, I ask everybody during this breakdown stuff about your opinion on it. Because, you know, breakdowns has a very divisive you know, reputation. Some people love it. Some people, maybe even the majority so, carry hard feelings for the storyline. So does this issue 
standing alone by itself. Is it, this issue a breakdown? Does it deserve a bad reputation or is it better than uh, maybe people remember? In isolation, I think this issue is really good. And like we've said before, it's a good balance of all of the things that people want in the Jedi story. Mm-hmm. And I'm new to breakdowns because, like I said, I dropped out quite early on. So until this podcast, I didn't even know there was a jelly. Okay. So all of this kind of era is brand new to me. And like I said, I peeked ahead, but I don't know what's going to happen. So this is my first time with breakdowns. All right. We've talked about individually. You said this issue works individually. As a big picture, how's breakdowns working for you? From what I can say, it really breaks into phases, doesn't it? So, like, you've got phase one, which is like all the Bialia stuff. Then you've mm-hmm. got this weird interlude. And I think that's what catches a lot of people out because that interlude, I mean, it's event comics crashing into ongoing series, isn't it? It's yeah. a problem that we're still getting now. Mm-hmm. And that really bites into the sort of flow of the story because then you go into this phase, which is like the Despo stuff. And I guess the next phase is the Kuri Kuri stuff and i'm enjoying that i've i said apart from that interlude which is really rough i think it works as a story i think it flows really well i think maybe it would have been better if they split into three acts and called them each different things which they kind of because like each one's got a theme to its titles isn't that so they could have sort of like chapter one Briala Blues or whatever, you know, chapter two, second coming or something like that. And then whatever chapter three is, I think maybe if they'd done it that way, with the interlude kind of sitting on its own, it would have a better reputation. Yeah, kind of the way Superman, the death of Superman goes from death of Superman to funeral for a friend to uh, you know, Superman Returns or whatever, a reign of Superman. So they, it's sort of the same idea, but they, they broke it down by labels. So yeah, I can see what you're saying. If they did each five issues under its own label or something, that might make more sense. Yeah. So overall, it will still be breakdowns, but it will be its own kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it. I think it's a good little thing. It's, it's a little bit Tenth Doctor doing his last victory lap before he regenerates. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. It is exactly what it is. Because it's all the highlights. You know, it's it's all the big things that people have loved for the last five years. And they're just touching on all of it. So Because I've said before, that's the elevator pitch for breakdowns. Not one big plot, but it is the creative team putting the team through the ringer, hitting all the highlights of the last five years... And then putting the team through such a ringer that the team's breaking down. And is the team going to make it out of this? And that's yeah. what Breakdowns is to me. I would guess by the time we come Breakdowns, they've told the stories they want to tell. And what they're doing is they're putting all the toys back in the box so whoever comes next can do what they want. But they're also using it to sort of a little bit of victory lap, a little bit closing up all the plot lines that you can get to finish. Mm-hmm. That's what Breakdowns is, basically. Yep. So flipping through the issue here, uh, I don't normally do this, but I just got to talk about one of the... One of the two of the house ads in here. One of the house ads is for Armageddon, the alien agenda, which is where Captain Adam goes after leaving Just League Europe. So it's kind of, it's nice that they gave it a full page ad here. Although Captain Adam doesn't appear in the ad, they should they could have done that at least for a JLE fan. Uh, but then there's an ad for the American Heart Association in here that has Jim Gordon in a hospital bed, you know, fighting for his life. And it says Batman's best friend isn't on the streets tonight. And it's basically this is when Gordon quit smoking. That like the comics realized we've got one of our protagonists smoking cigarettes all the time, and we really need to stop that. And so they they did this big promotion on that, and it was a storyline. And uh, I've forgotten that. And I don't know. Maybe it's because I lived through it. it. Makes me a little emotional. I don't know. It's Oops, I, I, I never have my Batman face, so I missed it all. But I know, <laughs> I know that the heart attack part of the plot was in there, but I've never actually read them, so I'll have to go back to them at some point. Just brings back a lot of memories. All right, so we have now got to do the 
One Punch Award. It's where we nominate our favorite moment from the issue, whether it's fantastic or shocking, dramatic, funny, awe-inspiring, whatever. Both myself and SP are going to pick one moment, and only one will be awarded the coveted One Punch Award. So, SP, you're the guest, which is unfortunate for me and everyone listening. But uh, you get to go first, then. What is your nomination for the One Punch Award? I've got to say, it's the one that we've mentioned before. It's I'm cheating a little, because you can have both of the panels. But it's, that's one with Power Girl. That's not just the reason I'm picking it, obviously, but that helps. And Metamorpho speaking, I think that's a great little panel. Mm. Especially the bottom one when they say about being heroes. Yep. Just gets to me. Well, she's very smiley. She's like She looks like she should be, you know, I don't know, advertising cereal or something. She's, she's completely <laughs> grin to grin, which you just don't see Power Girl she's, do very often. She's definitely got the grin, yeah. Yeah. So for me, uh, I had to pick the big, you know, what the moment, which is when Despero goes from, you know, ready to kill and suddenly with almost a click of a button, he becomes a harmless little puppy dog, essentially. And even, you know, he's, oh dear. And, you know, Lobo's screaming, what the hell's going on? So for me, I think that moment is fantastic because it changes the whole direction of the book, changes the last three issues. And of course, it's going to have long lasting impact for the DC universe for, oh gosh, I don't know, five, six, seven, ten years or something. Um, where Elrond is going to be in Despero's body, and that's going to be important in some Justice League books. So for me, that is the the One Punch Award. Now we've got to decide which one of us wins, either the big turning point in the issue that has ramifications that go for years, or just Power Girl smiling. So your pick, what do you think? I, I hate to say this, and it hurts me to say it, but I think I'll go give it to you. That is the smart move, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame the panel isn't bigger. Yeah. But it's still a nice little scene, like you said. So, yeah, I've got to give it to little Ansborough. I was just going to say, and, you know, you can you can walk away with your head held high because you've given us the name El Ronsborough as well. So uh, you're part of that victory, sir. So congratulations to El Ronsborough. Uh, you have won the One Punch Award. Please wear with pride it is as tangible as our love for that moment all right now sp i need to ask a favor would you mind hanging out here for a bit and help clean up around times square it is a freaking mess and i'm not sure manga con's actually going to help donate profits to help clean it up do you mind i bought my spade just in case and you know free vacation in new york how am i gonna complain there you go look at that all right folks i don't worry uh we will bring sp back at the end of the show and well sp's taking care of that for us i am going to read your listener feedback in a segment called Justice Log. All right, folks, as we get into your feedback, I just want to say thanks again to the astonishing number of people who reached out to me when the sad news broke about Keith's passing. I sincerely appreciate it. So for the feedback section of this episode, we're going we're gonna to handle it like usual. We're going to focus on the last episode of the JLI podcast, where we covered a couple issues of the JLI comics. So that's where our focus is going to be in this feedback. However, as I said in the opener, in the comments section for this episode, please feel free to share your memories and thoughts about Keith Giffen, his career, and your favorite comics. I'm hoping that a lot of people will share, and I believe this would be a great forum for people to support one another. All right, folks, as we get into this, as usual, I'm going to be pulling your comments from our website, email, social media, things like that. I'm going to be just pulling bits and pieces because there's a tremendous amount of feedback from the last episode. But we're going to be covering the most recent episode where we talked about Justice League America number 57 with my guest DC Dave and Justice League Europe number 33 with my guest Noah Tarnow. 
First up is Bucky749, the American Samurai, who has his own YouTube channel. Bucky asks me if I have seen the Blue Beetle movie yet. And Bucky, I am ashamed to say I haven't yet. I had every intention of going to see the film, and life just got in the way, and I didn't get around to seeing it yet. So I'm going to be sure that I can catch it on streaming, because uh, I do want to see it. I, I love the character of Jaime Reyes. I like uh, the stuff I've seen. I, I've heard a lot about the... I won't go into details, because I don't want to spoil anything. It's stuff that's in there, so I really do want to see the movie. Then we heard from Gus Casals from our Argentina Embassy. He has podcasts such as Ian Reed's Crisis and the Alfred Pennyworth Presents podcast and more. Uh, Gus says, I have some notes on the art for these two issues. Wozniak is kind of better, and you mentioned on Despero and Lobo, who are extreme characters. I mean, Lobo's pretty much the DC 90s, and I hate Maxwell Lord on that final page. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I've seen a few people, Gus, who agreed with you that they didn't like Max on that final page. I kind of dug it, but hey, you know what? Your mileage may vary. Then he says about Derek Robertson and Just League Europe, yeah, a completely different category. I want to second what Dave said about Booster's costume, but also uh, Robertson's one of the few artists that makes Lobo's leather-looking outfit uh, look good. It's shiny and tough like a biker would look. Hmm, all right, thank you, Gus. Then from Rob McCarthy, author of the book The Star and the Space Princess and other stories, Rob says, I never loved the jokey tone with the JLI, but what really pissed me off was that I was promised the creeper, and there ain't no creeper. Uh, yeah, Rob, you're right. Uh, they did sort of tell us the creeper was going to be in the book by putting him in that who's, uh, who's who entry for Just League International, but, you know, we still got him in issue, what, six and seven, so that's something better than nothing. Then we heard from Brian Shufo, who says, uh, Just the mention of Crisis on Earth Prime brought back all those warm and fuzzy nostalgia feelings. I read it when I was 12, and it was my first crossover. It is so true that that age is everyone's golden age. Yeah, it really is, Brian. They were from Ward Hill Terry from the band Stop Calling Me Frank, and he uh, got all smart on me here and gave me the pronunciation for William Butler Yates. I kept saying it wrong, so uh, thank you. Uh, I'm an extremely uncultured idiot, Terry, uh, as you know, so thank you for giving me that information. Uh, in regard to that, Captain Entropy said, English just don't make no sense. And Buffalo DeLorean said, there's a Smith song that I use to remember. Uh, and he quotes some of the lyrics from the Smith song. It uses Meats and Gates and Keats and Yates. So uh, there you go. You know, you look, look to the Smiths for your guide, folks. Then we heard from Liz Ann Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel. Liz says, yes, the return of Beef Eater, the greatest superhero of them all. The Beef Eater throwing himself in battle is cool, and it fits his character. Uh, you know what? Somebody's got to love the Beef Eater, so that's great. I love that. Uh, then Liz goes on to say, wait, how does Despero go to the bathroom if his butt doesn't have a, uh, geez, no wonder he's so mad. No, no sexy time for him on top or bottom. And now if he eats, how does he get rid of the waste? Out of his ears? Ah, uh, never mind. Moving on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Liz, for that insight. They learned from Paul from the Australian Embassy. He does podcasts such as Waiting for Doom, the dial-up for Flanger, and spends a tremendous amount of time just making pithy comments that have really no contribution value whatsoever, such as, he says, Dave seems to be burnt out. Too much podcasting? Too fast. It happens. And why does Noah trivialize everything? Thank you for that humor from Down Under Paul. Then we heard from Siskoid from the Canadian Embassy. He's on the Firewater Podcast Network, and he has a new upcoming show called Siskoid Cinema. He says, the one debate I'm happy to get into is about Noah's contention that Grant Morrison's JLA was serious. I think people are happy to see the Core 7 back, as opposed to a bunch of second and even third stringers that have populated the league since JL Detroit. But serious? Morrison's issues are hilarious in the, quote, what if we did the Silver Age stories today kind of way. That book practically winked at you. Hmm, very interesting, Siskoid. Now, I haven't reread Grant's issues Wow, I guess it's publication. So I really can't speak to that. But I do know that he loved to work in sort of modern versions of Silver Age stories. So maybe. 
They were from Diablo Frank from the uh, Rolled Spine Podcasting Network. He has shows such as Idlehead of Diablo, all about Martian Manhunter, and uh, concludes a lot of information about Despero. So Frank says, uh, so Shagwood appreciates this. I think the Descent of Despero was more or less my proper introduction to the villain. Yes, his original incarnation was in the only issue of Who's Who that I ever bought new, and I saw him in the cameos leading up to this issue, but this was probably the first full story I read featuring the Kalinorian. Uh, recall that I skipped Justice League America number 32 through 52, so my awareness of the Adam Hughes Despero arc came years later in, through Wizard Magazine. So then Frank goes on to say, I guess because of Bart Sears' Justice League Europe, uh, that became the art book, which is why Derek Robinson was good enough to draw his own covers. Hmm. Uh, I still wasn't entirely on board with his style, which didn't really click for me until Transmetropolitan, but it was so much better in direct comparison with JLA. That splash page with Despero Cursing of the Clouds was used on my old web TV webpage. <laughs> oh, I love that you still talk about that, Frank. Anyway, Frank goes on to say, as someone not in on the joke, Despero's constant declarations of hateful intent will not even managing to seriously injure Beefeater or the Chromium Age Inspector Clouseau while being a fuchsia hulk were in no way endearing. The beginning of a multi-issue zero-consequence game of punch face that really soured me on the book's an overarching narrative. Coming in with only my familiarity with the first couple years in the main title, this was less of a greatest hits than a cash-in B-sides and rarities album. Uh, you know, once again, my buddy Frank is is freaking crazy, but he makes some good points about, you know, we, we a three-issue storyline, right, Despero here, and there really aren't any consequences. I mean, we did lose Elrond. Okay, so that I guess that's something. But for the most part, there aren't a lot of consequences. Now, by the opposite tone, uh, the last Despero storyline were tremendous consequences to just be, uh, Gypsy's family, Mr. Miracle, and all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know, Frank. I guess I'm going to have to think on that for a while. But it, once again, it's an interesting observation. All right, then we'll hear from Doug Adamson, who says, uh, yes, I think this is the point that somehow editorial had only bothered to ask the cover artist to read the last couple pages of the issues as if they were the first pages. Uh, maybe it was a fax machine error or someone had loaded them the wrong way, because this is yet another example in the final run where we've had the cover effectively reveal or spoil the ending of the issue. Uh, you had Lobo versus Despero, but they don't rumble until page 20. Uh, you got the whole eviction cover, uh, which spoiled the end of a Just League Europe issue. You know, it, it, he's right. It's happened a few times. So then Doug says, uh, the issues themselves, now that we're out of the doldrums of the middle five, certainly seem more action-packed, and indeed, as Shag pointed out, are the greatest hits album for the run. I think the problem for me was by this stage, I was already tuning out of the run after the nonsense of the Doom Patrol filler. Then he says, at least here, it feels like this is the start of something more seismic and changes for the League. These are big villains, and Justice League villains at that. And the echo of Despero coming back at the end of another League era feels right. Uh, you know, Doug, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about the fact that, yeah, Despero comes back at the end of Justice League Detroit, and then here, he's back again at the end of the uh, Bwahaha era. Mm, interesting. Then we heard from Tim Price from the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast, and the Batgirl to Huntress podcast, and he is currently the director of the play Best of the West for the Virginia Military Institute. Congratulations, Tim. Uh, he says, I've been very critical of Wozniak's artwork, and while this issue is better, it's still not for me, and I put at the lower end of the artist the JLI had. Granted, that's a tough group to be compared to, but that's what has to happen on the same book. Still, I'll give him props for the great smiles on the team members' faces this issue, especially Beetle, Fire and Ice, lots of joy there. And then he says, I have not been vocal enough on Sprouse's covers. Uh, they've been excellent throughout Breakdowns, and JLA 57 is no exception. Max looks great and sinister, and the extremists look awesome. Well done. Then he says, now the most important nitpick not worth mentioning this month has to be Major Disaster in Justice League Europe number 33. He jumped into action wearing his three-piece suit, just like he wore to the party. 
party. But notice in this issue, the rest of the Injustice League changed into their costumes back at the cave. So only the one who went to fight stayed in his nice suit? Hmm, I could explain it, but everyone stop reading by now. Yeah, Tim, that's not true. I was still reading. They don't have a symbol pending. I, I have no idea who that is. Anyway, some, somebody named Symbol Pending it says, personally, I'm not a big fan of Beef Eater, and it's like having a hero who's Uncle Sam. Uh, no, wait, uh, a cowboy hero. Well, I just don't like Beef Eater, okay? But I must admit, he's great when fighting Despero and Power Girl dealing with him, obviously. Um, first off, I gotta say, anybody that doesn't like Beef Eater is never gonna get on my podcast, so let's just make that perfectly clear. Uh, then uh, we heard from Martin Gray from our Scotland Embassy. He does the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. Martin says, Despero certainly has presence, but he'll never be as scary as he was in Justice League America number 38 when he killed Gypsy's parents. That was intense. And he says, okay, Shag, you must say Blue Jay and Silver Sorcerers are a bit rubbish and did nothing, but how awesome do they look as drawn by Bart Sears and Who's Who? Oh, totally agree. Totally agree, Martin. Uh, they have a great look, and they looked fantastic in those who went, Who's Who entries, and they had a lot of potential. It was just never on the page in the comic itself. That's what's disappointing to me. I'm especially interested in Silver Sorcerers. She's got a really cool, unique look, but it is what it is. Then Martin says, uh, the art of the two books is night and day. Derek Robertson's work on Booster Gold is fantastic, and the rest of the book just looks as terrific. Yeah, uh, that, that Derek Robertson issue was great. Uh, they were from Brett Young from the Imaginate Design. Uh, uh, last episode, we commented on some uh, of Chris Wozniak's brokeback poses for some of the ladies. Uh, Brett says, whenever I'm at social events, I always make sure to stand as awkwardly as possible and turn my head a full 90 degrees to talk to someone. <laughs> it's only natural. <laughs> Thank you, Brett. Then we're from Chris Pine, who says, uh, I thought the JLA issue was pretty good. A lot of setting up for what seems to be a big climax with Despero and Lobo, the extremist, and the JL, uh, which is really a standard non-Giffen D. Mateus JLA kind of thing to do. Uh, he says, Just like Europe is the real gem this month. The action is great, the art is great, and the way we they weave the storylines together is exciting. This month definitely had one of the better straightforward comic book two-issue swings during breakdowns. And he says, as far as Despero goes, rereading these issues today, through a 2023 lens, made his appearance this time around feels like a commentary on the repetitive nature of comic books. Uh, I have no way of knowing if this was intentional by Giffen and Demetrius, but the difference between Despero in JLA 37 through 40, where he was cold, calculated, and almost poetic in his hatred and cruelty, and in these issues, where he's just a naked pink genitalia challenge wrecking ball, is so stark that it must be on purpose. I could definitely see this as some subverse way to poke fun at how comic book villains always seem to come back, and almost always have some version of the same plan, and always ending up facing off the hero in a punch-up, and it almost never has any lasting consequences and is rarely recaptures the same level of excitement as the first time they did. I would imagine it's also kind of boring for creators as well to constantly go back and walk the same path twice. The greats can always find something new to explore, but we're hitting the 90s, and comics definitely slip on that kind of consistency this decade, and everything starts to look the same. Again, this could just be revisionist history on my part to read so much into a mostly nude, massive new magenta man-junk missing murder machine. Woo, taking a breath. Uh, <laughs> uh, reading into all of that, sh showing up at a comic book at the end of its run. Hmm. You know, Chris, you give a lot of interesting thoughts to think about. So no, don't sell yourself short. It's some interesting ideas. Then we heard from our buddy Jeff Messer from the Issues with Interviews show. He says, uh, of the Yeats and the Slaking, uh, he actually shares that poem by uh, Yeats. So it's all out there. I uh, I am not a poet, so I'm not going to try and read it. But thank you so much for sharing that, Jeff. And he connects some dots with our MASH cast as well. 
Then we heard from Professor Allen at the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Uh, we had made some comments about Margot Robbie and what made her uh, become a star eventually. And, and he backs us up by saying, yes, Margot Robbie became a star with Wolf of Wall Street and then her cameo in The Big Short, uh, both of which took place before Suicide Squad. Then we heard from Changing Shades. This is a great episode. But yeah, Breakdowns isn't a coherent story so much as a summation clip show of the run-up to that point. I think I might put it a, a little bit nicer, but yeah, no, I think you're, you're definitely right on there. Then we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey from our Irish Embassy. He says, Irish Embassy calling, and yes, I missed the feedback in the last episode, but it wasn't for the fact that I was in hospital and was taken control by a disembodied spirit with my control powers. Oh, no, no, nothing like that happened at all. And even if I did, I would not use said powers to make mischief. No, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. He says, JLA-57 was a slight breather before the start of the big Lobo-Despero fight. It was interesting to see the League gathered together to celebrate the return of Max and foreshadowing the surprise of his sudden return. Even the fact that Max Dreamslayer was able to the likes of Jean in one panel, where he tells Rex and Dimitri to stop talking about the extremists, uh, shows the power that Max Dreamslayer has. It's an interesting discussion Shag and Dave had about highlighting Captain Marvel and indeed Black Canary without necessarily putting them on the page. It got me thinking about any other members that was previously with the League but did not turn up. One major big name star will turn up shortly, uh, but thinking of the rest, the likes of Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, Huntress, Dr. Fate, Orion, Light Ray, Animal Man, and Wonder Woman do not make any appearances in breakdowns. Wow, those are some great points, Jimmy. I had not thought about the people that don't show up. Um, I did think, sort of along the same lines, I was thinking about big names in the other uh, villains that didn't show up. And I'm kind of surprised we didn't see again during Breakdown some form of Starro. You know, after that giant storyline over in JLE, he just seems like someone that would be logical to have in this storyline. <laughs> then Jimmy goes on, he says, The discussion Noah and Shag had on the Silver Sorcerers and Blue Jay, just being there and not having been developed much, was interesting. As I was was listening to the podcast, I was struck with the thought that have we ever actually gotten names for them? Per Wikipedia, Silver Sorcerer's real name is Laura Cynthia Nielsen, and Blue Jay is Jay Abrams. Uh, but I have no recollection that those were ever first revealed. Does anyone have any ideas? Well, Jimmy, I'm not entirely sure. I I do remember their names were on the Who's Who entries. But beyond that, I don't know where their names were originally revealed. It may have been for the Who's Who entries. So, you know what? If anyone out there knows, feel free to le- uh, let us know in the comment section. All right, folks, and then finally, uh, I'm going to give away a Double Stuff Award just because I want to. Uh, It's going to go to the Between the Pages blog. Last episode, I talked about those custom show logos I make for every episode. So every episode, I take one of the covers from Justice League, one of the books, and I kind of mock up the cover. I remove a lot of the stuff. I clean it up, and then I put the JLI podcast logo on it. And it's a lot of work, but it makes me happy. And I mentioned it last time, and Between the Pages says, since you asked on the episode, I really like the custom background images. So, ah, it really made my day. So you know what? Between the pages, I'm going to give you a double stuff award. So for that, so thank you so much. You you really made my day with that comment because again, I spent a lot of time with those stupid things. Uh, all right, folks, this is the part of the show where we thank everyone who shared the show on their social media timeline. So that is Facebook, Twitter, and Blue Sky. It is a long list of names. I realize that. However, these folks showed their support and helped promote the show. So it's important to me that we recognize these individuals. And this time out, we have got over 80 friends to thank, and that's awesome. Thank you so much, folks. So here's to everyone who helped promote the last episode by sharing on Facebook retweeting on Twitter or Blue Sky. Our thanks go to 
Al Girding, Andre TFG, Batman the Animated Series Reunion, Between the Pages Blog, Bill Beer from the Bat Pod, Bill Scurry, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold Facebook Group, Brian Shufo, Changing Shades, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Chris Lydon, Chris Pine, Christopher Luke, Coffee and Comics, Craig McD, Damian Drouet Whiter, Dave Steele in the Earth 2 Podcast, Dave's Comics Heroes Blog, David Ace Gutierrez, Derek William Crabb, Diablo Frank, Doc RX, Doug Adamson, Dr. Jennifer Swartz Levine, Ed Moore, Teal Productions, Frederick. Rico Hernandez, Franco Herrera, geek to me Radio, Gus Casals, Jake Muir, Jason R. Lady, Jenna Risman, John Coos, John Reads Comics, J.P. Roca, Justin Steiner, Kara Lovett, Kichi Baker, Kiko Malpica Okapa, Connell, Crazy Joe Adventures, Liz Ann Oswald, Mark Baker Wright, Married with Comics with John and Maggie, Martin Gray, Martin Cogan, Matthew Cody in his Superman Radio Revisited podcast, Max Romero, Michael Kramer, Michael Thomas, Mike Dinas, Mo Walker, Noah Tarnow, Nuno Duarte, Only American Captain Britain Fan, Patrick's Tactics and Tutorials, Paul Keehan, Pragmatic Gollum, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Rob Kelly and his Digest cast account, Roger Preve, Samantha Levine, Sean Ross, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Second Union, Siskoid, Slangword Scott, Stop, Let's Team Up, a comic podcast, Symbol Pending, Tim Price and his Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Trent Lewis, Turbo Comics, Warlord Thanos Podcast, Wednesday Poll, Willie Arbro, World on Fire, a JSA All-Star Squadron Podcast, Zek Cap Boots. Woof. So my thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI Podcast. Your feedback, again, folks, I always say it is such a critical part of the show. And the community of JLI fans we have built together is fantastic. And hey, again, for the comment section of this episode, be there for each other, help each other, and be friends. All right? Because uh, we could all use one right now. Now, if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. It is probably the fault of DC Dave or Noah Tarnow. So if we did, just let me know, and I'll be sure to include you on the next episode. And keep those cards and letters coming. Visit our website. It is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments there in the show post, as we've discussed. You can also find us on Facebook as Justice League International, Bwahahaha Podcast, or on Twitter as JLI Podcast. You can email us at jlipodcast at gmail.com, or if you're on Blue Sky, uh, we're there under the FW Podcast account. My thanks again to DC Dave and Noah Tarnow for appearing on the most recent episode of the show, and thank you to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback. Now we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we'll see if we can bring our guest from this episode, Jake Warren and Simple Pending, together in the same embassy. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire & Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water podcast network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The brave and the bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team-Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. 
Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Okay, folks, we're back from break, and yes, it does appear the JLI teleporter has brought together Jake, Warren, and Symbol Pending. First off, Jake and Warren, thank you so much for being on this episode. We've been planning this for years. Again, I'm so excited to uh, complete my bingo card for international continents. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they could possibly find more of you guys on the internet? I'm on uh, Twitter, and it's jakemia 14 and that's pretty much where I am. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit more hidden, but uh, if you really want to reach out, reach out to Jake. Awesome. And yeah, Jake's posting fun stuff on Twitter all the time, so be sure to check that out. And again, Jake and Warren, thank you so much for being on the show, guys. It's been a real pleasure. It has. It, it's been something that I've looked forward to for years. Um, before you even asked me if I wanted to join, um, I thought to myself, I would love to be on the show, but I thought, why would Shag ever want me to come on? So I'm <laughs> truly honored to be on your show. And yeah, yeah, Shag, thank you very much uh, for inviting me. Uh, I'll definitely, if you ever decide to do this again with us, yeah, I'll definitely join in again. And it was uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, and actually, it'll be interesting to do a face to face. I think we've just we're doing voiceovers here, but I don't actually I don't think I've actually seen what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mystery behind Shag. Or is that, is that the mystery that we keep that keeps going? <laughs> I, I actually look like Metamorpho, so or Kilowog. So there you go. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Jake and Warren. I sincerely appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. It's it's been a blast. Thanks so much. Symbol pending, my friend. SP, thank you so much for being here. After years and years of communicating through comment sections and feedback and all that, it's so nice to finally have you on the show. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find more of you on the internet? Thank you for having me, even after I bugged you for those years. Um, <laughs> the easiest, easiest way is to go to my website, symbol-pending.com. That's where I post all my blogs. If you want me on social medias, I'm on Twitter X or whatever you want to call it, Blue Sky. I think I've got an OnlyFans if you want to check that one out. Wow, okay. I'm telling you, nothing dirty there. I mean, nothing there at all, but it's there. And that's <laughs> basically symbol pendants. So I'm in all the social medias. Awesome. Well, again, I'm so glad to have uh, the world... Look out, John Coos. I'm so glad to have the world's biggest Power Girl fan here. And uh, I, I look forward to you and John continuing to butt heads over that crown. I'm coming for him. <laughs> All right, folks, that is going to do it. Now, come back next episode when we cover Justice League America number 59 and Justice League Europe number 35. Breakdowns part 13 and 14. Oh, my gosh. We are almost at the end. Scary. And we'll have two more guests to help me cover the issues. Who will they be? Come on, people. You know how this works. You're just going to have to wait and find out next episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Shag. I'm Jake. And I'm Warren. And I'm Simple Pendant. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something of it? it?